Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. Good morning. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's so lovely to have you along this morning and to have you with us. Coming up, great show. First up, we've got uh, a group of former employees of Fletcher Building. They're going to be telling us their story of how Fletcher Building mandated them out of work and what they're going to be doing about it. It's a, It'll be a great story. And also, coming up after that, We've got our wonderful gardening guru, Wally Richards. Uh, he'll be talking to us about gardening. And, of course, what a time we've got. It's spring. It's spring. Everything is coming alive again, and our gardens are calling out for us. So we've got Wally Richards. And don't forget, we've got Tane Webster talking politics back into the political sandpit. We're going to be talking about the questions that some readers have sent in. Lovely to have you along. Don't forget, you can text me at 2057, email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. I love getting your emails and texts. Please keep them coming. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way, because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together, and so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I, I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as i've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say whatever side you're on and the listener the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And remember, you can send us a text at 2057. Email us, uh, email me at inbox at realitycheck.radio. Well, for the politicians, it's all over. You know, they've ended everything to do with COVID. And they actually don't want to talk about it because they're heading into an election and they're after our votes. Well, COVID isn't all over for a lot of us because the horrifying health consequences of that jab linger. The economic damage linger. The personal damage linger. And we do want to talk about it. 
because people are hurting. And we've got a very, very interesting case today, and it's a case with Fletcher Building and their private mandates. And I'm very happy to welcome, first of all, Penny Jackson, who's organized the group. And we've also got uh, Matthew Haig from Frontline Law to be helping us understand the law and the legal ramifications of what's happened. Now, good morning, Penny. Good morning, Rodney. Lovely to have you. And good morning, Matthew. Hello, Rodney. Thank you for taking this uh, most important case and for being willing to come along and support Penny and the group and to share it with us. Now, Penny, just in your own time, tell us what happened. Okay, so as we all know, the COVID hit in 2020, 2021. Going back with that history, we all know that there were lockdowns and mandates that came through from the government and some companies. Our company was a part of that, Fletcher Building Limited. The lockdowns saw all of us that could working from home at the time. There were many of us that were stuck at home anyway but a lot of us could work from home. We didn't think that Fletcher Building were going to mandate the employees. They have something like 20,000 staff throughout New Zealand and Australia, and we were a private company. We are a private company that was not required to mandate their staff at that stage. And we were assured by Fletcher Building head office that no mandates were coming through for the staff, which gave us a little bit of assurance because people were feeling a little bit nervous about mandates and having to get a vaccine for a job. Um, Can I just interrupt you, Penny? Yes. Um, What was your job with Fletcher Building? I was branch administrator for placemakers. Okay. And you could happily work at home when there were lockdowns? Oh, oh, I did work from home in lockdowns. So there were no problems with that. None of us could go into the work environment unless you were a health and safety committee or the branch operator and manager. So everybody else was basically locked out of the environment and office staff, most people were at home, I except for a few yard people because our company had some leeway with the government as an essential service. Yes. So for plumbers and builders and things like that that were called out to urgent work, some of the yard staff were in. But apart from that, all office staff, everybody else was sitting at home and I was doing my work through the computer. So I was working from home. And tell me, and I'm sorry to again interrupt and question you, but I just want to get this clear in my own head. Was there a discussion amongst staff about vaccines and mandates or was it sort of just individuals being fearful? So when you're saying you were, it was, you know, with some trepidation you were approaching this uh, and whether getting that assurance uh, from head office that you, you wouldn't be mandated, was that a discussion within and around the staff? 
I think it was for everybody. Everybody was gripped to the TV watching Jacinda Ardern telling us how many people had, uh, you know, were passing away or, you know, what the COVID ramifications were and how she was trying to get a vaccine into the country. When she did bring the vaccine in, there were some in our branch and other branches that the group come from that rushed out and got the vaccine straight away. And there tended to be a them and us attitude, at least in Mm. our branch, where the ones that were vaccinated were trying to push forward the vaccine to others that weren't. So it became quite a stressful and difficult time. Even before uh, Fletcher's brought in the mandate, we had bullying to such a degree in our branch that the people who didn't want to get vaccinated would not go into the staff room to have their lunches. They'd sit in their cars and have lunches. Oh, Um, my goodness. Oh, and yep, yep. And, um, you know, I had one manager tell me when I asked him politely about a haircut and he, and he turned around to me and he said, my wife would never touch you, Penny. <laughs> you know, it was like. And these were, these were formerly colleagues yes. who you would work with collegially. Yes, yes, and we'd worked with for years, and a couple of us had actually worked for the company for many years. There was one gentleman, um, and he'd worked for the company for 25 years, and he still didn't, you know, he'd worked with these people for 25 years and considered them friends and colleagues, and, and you know, you go into work, and you have no idea, uh, you know, what people are like until something like this happens for some reason, we were seen as the threat. It wasn't the other way around. You know, if you get vaccinated, you think to yourself, uh, well, I'm safe. So mm. more for those that aren't vaccinated because they take the risk. But it wasn't like that. It, it, there was uh, just so much coercion and manipulation going on. The branch operator at the time went round and asked everybody if they were going to get the vaccine. And I believe that was against the Privacy Act. Mm. This is before the mandate policy came out. And one of the managers questioned him on that and said, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be running around asking everybody whether they're going to get the vaccine. And, you know, there there would be groups of people that would just descend upon an unvaccinated person and just sort of try and coerce them at the same. No, in the workplace. Yeah, in the workplace. And at the same time, Fletcher Building were pushing a propaganda to get the vaccine, they had the health, which I was part of, the Health and Safety Committee, were running bonus little competitions. And you get a voucher of $50 if you send in your reason for being vaccinated. They also brought in a mobile vaccination cart into the car park. And, you know, one of the managers was walking alongside one of the unvaccinated people and said, hey, how about I take you over there and you get vaccinated right now? It was that sort of thing. It was so, so much pressure. You know, at that stage, a lot of us felt very, very stressed and uncertain about things. And mm. I want um, to dwell on this for a little bit, Penny. Yeah. Um It's hard now to remember it, how bad it was. I imagine our grandchildren won't believe us because it's hard to believe that friends and family can so readily become bullies and snitches and that that was legitimated by the Prime Minister, every politician and the news media so that bullying and snitching 
and being horribly rude was just declared to be okay. And so many of us became bullies and snitches. It's unbelievable to me. Because you'd always imagine that nice people would continue to be nice people. Well, you work with them every day, Rodney, and you don't see the real side of people until something happens. And it's very easy to be nice over a cup of tea and morning tea when there's no pressure. But when the proverbial hits the fan, you saw deep into people and it wasn't pleasant. No, it wasn't. So your workplace for those who chose not to be vaccinated, as was their right at this point, and we'll get on to the legality of it shortly, but as was their right, they were perfectly entitled to choose not to be vaccinated. That's right. And for them, the workplace became toxic from management all the way through to your colleagues. That's right, exactly. And did you find yourselves the unvaccinated, the unwashed, the lepers, the the rivers of filth in the organisation? Did you find yourself coming together? We, we naturally did, Rodney. Originally there were around 12 of us in a branch of 50. This is my own example, but I know that the other people in the group have had the same experience as well. There were 12 of us, but that whittled down to only four because the others were so coerced, manipulated and bullied that they they gave up in the end and they just went and got the vaccine. Uh, Nobody was doing any research. And what I was amazed at, because I was in the Health and Safety Committee, was why weren't we asking the question whether this vaccine was safe? And why weren't people getting informed consent from their doctors? And we had a couple of people in our branch suffer um, pericarditis and heart stroke. Not that they admitted that that came from the vaccine, but as we know now, looking back, uh, it might well have. Mm. Uh, But all this was brushed under the carpet. And the people who were getting COVID, it came out from um, Fletcher Building a sick leave policy. And it was very discriminatory in nature. And this is one of the bullying things as well. It said that if you got COVID and you were vaccinated, they would pay for your sick leave. You didn't have to use your own sick leave and holiday pay Mm -hmm. to stay at home for your two weeks mandatory um, stay at home. But if you were unvaccinated, they were not going to pay anything towards it. You had to use your holiday um, oh my goodness! Accumulation or your sick leave that you had accumulated over the years. Okay, can can I just stop you there, Penny? Yes, and jump to Matthew because I just think the context of what was going on is so important to the story. Matthew, what's the legal situation of that bullying that was allowed to go on? First of all within the organisation, and of course all organisations, Fletcher Building weren't unique, uh, where managers were bullying staff, and more particularly managers were ignoring the bullying that was going on within the organisation such that, you know, staff had to have their morning tea and lunch sitting in their car, point one. And point two, what what would be the, what's the legal status of an organisation saying, well, this is how the sick leave works, and if you're not vexed, uh, you're not entitled. Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge Penny and the group uh, for fighting against what has happened to them, and it's just been horrible. 
And Penny's story is shared by many New Zealanders who are affected by vaccine mandates, both from the government and from their employer, but also other COVID restrictions. To answer your questions directly, Rodney, the bullying, I mean, an employer has an obligation to take all reasonable steps to prevent and stop bullying in the workplace. And there's no dispute about that. That's not a controversial statement. Once it's brought to their attention, they have to do something about it. And in Penny's case, it's very clear that the employer was aware that there was conflict, there was mistreatment of employees by other staff in the workplace. And it just always amazes me that because it's about COVID vaccination, it was somehow tolerated more than, for example, someone being bullied for dietary choices or requirements due to their religion or other medical choices mm. to do with the body. And to this day, I don't understand why us as a country led by the government took that approach and it's sad and it's really hard. All, all I can think of in the cynical part of me, Rodney, and I try not to be cynical as much as I can help it, thinks it's when you get beneath all the layers of public messaging and rhetoric, it's, it's just about power. There was a problem, it was COVID. Uh, the government wanted to be seen to do something about it and it was a form of virtue signaling. Here it is, here's what we're doing. And if you don't get the vaccine, you're not on board, you're not part of the solution. And in fact, you're harming other New Zealanders. And we now know that although my cases haven't been against the vaccine itself, they've been against the mandates. The vaccine was ineffective or at least very, very uh, less effective than the government said it was against the spread and transmission of COVID, particularly the Omicron variant. And so actually, whether you're unvaccinated or not, didn't make a difference to other people's no. safety. And there is a Broadcasting Standards Authority decision that uh, criticised the government for its messaging in that respect. It said, get vaccinated to protect your now." Well, whether you're vaccinated or not, had no effect on your now. So that, that's the issue around bullying. Um, in, in terms of the other question around sick leave, there's no explicit rule ab about about that particular issue. But what I would do is point back to the good faith obligations on both the employer and the employee. And I can't think of any good reason why you would say to someone who's made a legitimate choice about what medication to receive, in this case, the vaccination, and say, you're not entitled to take sick leave when you're unable to come to work, when you're unwell, or when you're required to isolate because of government policy. And if you are vaccinated, then you can take sick leave. And in my mind, those issues are actually related. I think that really contributes towards the division between those two groups of people, because one's clearly being treated better than the other. I think it is a breach of good faith, and therefore I think it's a breach of employment law. Mm. And, of course, um, back then, my sense of it was, and you may not be able to comment, um, and feel free to say, look, you know, I'm a lawyer and got a license. But back then, I felt the judiciary were wrapped up in it. And um, it would be hard to have taken the case because it seemed to me they were on the government side and, and being very 
what's the word conservative and well radical in their judgments actually and but now maybe with the fullness of time there will be cooler heads uh, within our judiciary and the courts mm. look i think um that that certainly was a perception out there that yeah. judges are part of the wider government and that's quite true they are yes in my experience that hasn't been the case there have been decisions uh that i've succeeded in and there's been decisions that i've failed in but i haven't i i don't believe that was because judges want to support government um above their legal obligations one thing i would say is that judges are all lawyers by profession and lawyers are um, notoriously disagreeable and i don't think judges particularly in the higher courts would have any issue with criticizing the government we've seen that again and again on the other hand look judges are human beings and particularly when we had the parliament protest outside the high court when we had the Yardley case which was the case against the government mandate affecting uh, defence force and police personnel the judge would have looked out the window and seen that I don't know what would have gone through his mind I don't think it had an effect on his decision he upheld our application for judicial review but he is a human being and I think you're right that in the fullness of, of time, we've just seen decision after decision, particularly in the Employment Relations Authority, holding employers accountable for meeting their employment obligations. And we've seen some good ones come out recently, and that's pleasing Great. to see. Sorry, uh, Penny, jumping back to you, we've got this highly divisive, highly toxic uh, workplace um, that's being... Uh, winked at by management if not actively stoked because uh, the managers are in on this um 12 was it you said and it whittled down to four then what yeah. happened oh um so basically then the government came out with their mandates for um uh you know government departments um you know like uh, doctors and nurses and the teachers and people like that, um, uh, and it went on record that some private companies were asking the government to change the wording of the Emergency uh, Act so that private companies could also mandate, and it turned out that Fletcher Building were one of those companies. Um, this surprised us because we'd been assured that there would be no mandates through Fletcher Building. They're, they're, they're one, if not the biggest, one of, if not the biggest, um, com company in New Zealand, company people, as I say, around 20,000 people in New Zealand. Um, so that surprised us um, enormously, um, especially considering um, all their policies on bullying and all sorts of things like that. So um, we found that Fletcher Building were one of the people that had asked the government uh, to allow private companies to mandate and just change the wording so that they could do that. Um, little did we know, but um, when we got round to November, um, the uh, Fletcher building, before they even told us that a mandate was coming through, had commissioned uh, Rod Jackson um, from the Auckland University to come up with a risk assessment for all the um, the employees of Fletcher Building. And now Rod Jackson is a professor, um, probably has some respect that way, but he's definitely not a medical professional. Um, 
so, and he's not from Medsafe or anywhere else like that. So, um, I don't know why they went to him, but they commissioned that and he wrote a advice to Fletcher Building head office on the 17th of November saying that he was basing his advice on a risk assessment undertaken by Fletcher Building. And this is before they even told us that a mandate was coming out. So this was based on a risk assessment undertaken by themselves, and it was basically a rubber stamp. And I just want to read out part of his letter because I, I really am shocked by this. But this is what he said. And I, it shows to me that this was all rubber stamped even before the mandate came out. Uh, it was all uh, preconceived and, and done with government's approval. Um, and, uh, you know, right at the end of his letter, he says, I am aware that a number of multinational companies like Fletcher Building have already signalled their intention to support mandatory vaccinations and they will adapt their approach across the different territories and regions they operate in as appropriate. Uh, and then he goes on to say, basically, I rubber stamping this, I, I agree that the, the risk assessment overall, um, everybody needs to get vaccinated. It doesn't matter whether you're working in the yard, whether you drive a truck, whether you're outside in the garden centre, um, whether you work from home, everybody, everybody has to get vaccinated for Omicron. For, uh, no, he was talking about Delta at the time, but Omicron had come through. Mm. So, so everybody knew at that stage that the vaccine was not um, working the way it was supposed to, and I Omicron think, had come I think through. Their, I think their phrase was it was a little leaky. <laughs> now, what surprised you about that? What surprised me was looking at the dates because – it wasn't until the 25th of November, remember that Rod Jackson had sent this letter through to Fletcher Building Head Office on the 17th of November. So he'd obviously sat down before the 17th of November and said that Fletcher Building had commissioned him to write this letter, rubber stamping the risk assessment, um, and that they were wanting to go through with mandatory policies. It wasn't until the 25th of November that uh, Fletcher Building head office um, let everybody know that they were now thinking of mandating the vaccine and if you didn't get vaccinated, you would lose your job. Uh, it didn't matter where you worked. Um, and I, one of our group worked from home. Um, one day a year, he would go in for a Christmas party to the, to the office. Um, he was mandated. Uh, one guy in our group drove trucks. Never, never anywhere where he would be pose a risk to anybody else. He drove trucks all day and he, he was amazing. I mean, he got so many awards. He was the best driver in, in the whole of New Zealand for, for placemakers. He got awards. He got bonuses, everything. Um, people were working from home permanently. And yet they still got mandated. Um, and, and, you know, we, we wondered at that stage because it came as a, as a shock, shock out of the blue, um, where did it all come from? Um, and the, the government changed the wording so they could mandate. That was basically it. I, I think at that stage, a Fletcher building was thinking, oh, we'll be in trouble 
uh, under the Privacy Act and also under all these other acts if we just go through and, and summarily um, mandate the vaccine when we don't have um, legal backup to do this. So we need to ask the government to give us that um, the, the wording so that we can go ahead and mandate our, um, our staff. Um, I, I think that's what happened. Um, and, and, and I mean, in the interim, when we'd had the lockdowns and the wages subsidy had come through and all the rest of it, it became co common knowledge that um, the government had handed out something like $70 million to Fletcher Building and a, and a wages subsidy. They didn't pay out all of that to their employees um, and they never paid the, their balance back to the government. Um, that became um, a common knowledge and it was in the media as well. So, um, you know, at, at this stage, um, the unvaccinated of us were feeling very, very vulnerable. Um, just can I interrupt you again, Penny, um, yeah. just for clarification, two things. One is the you had been promised um, by Fletcher Building that there would be no mandates which had given you some comfort. They're then working in the background, um, getting a risk assessment, and then they get the risk access, uh, assessment reviewed by Professor Rod Jackson. He indicates in his letter that it's the parent company of Fletcher Building um, making a decision offshore that right around the globe uh, there will be mandates is that am i understanding that correctly yes and in, in, in his letter he says the territories yes across so, the different territories so and regions so this was australia new zealand wherever fletcher building were so this was bigger than new zealand fletcher building the bosses here were being told Oh, I have no idea what they what they were being told. I, I, I know that my boss and all the branch operators were called into head head office mm. in Auckland to discuss it. Um, and he came back from that meeting as you know, I work quite closely with him. He was my immediate boss, obviously. Um, and he came back and he said they were all for it. We're all for it, Penny. We want we want the mandate. We want you know this was before um, any decision had been made. Um, as to whether we were going to mandate or not. And mm. um, he, he said head office have, have basically told us that, you know, we're going to be mandating. Um, I was and, shocked. And if you look at your workplace, there are 50, you said, in the branch. Yes. And there at this stage, at some point, there's four holdouts. And so the 46 feels as strongly as the four, probably, amongst them there'll be some hotheads clearly who want to be only around vaccinated people and so they're all for mandating or getting rid of those that aren't vaxxed because they see them as a risk and so for head office it's like a 46 versus 4 scenario it 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 wasn't completely like that rodney because there were people within our branch that supported us and supported our decisions and said, mm. good on you for standing up because, okay. uh, because you know, you think it's wrong um, and, and you're standing on your principles um, and good on you and we support you quietly. Um, 
a a questionnaire was sent out to everybody in the Fletcher building um, asking, basically giving a a multi-choice, do you agree with the mandates and what do you think of it? And you were given 250 words to write back what you thought of them (laughs) they mandated. (laughs) So you couldn't say anything more than 250. Words, or even believe what I said, but never mind. <laughs> but, um, but you know, a lot of our colleagues that, that hadn't been, you know, instigators of bullying coercion actually wrote back and admitted they wrote back and said they didn't agree with mandating. Mm. So there were a lot of people within Fletcher Building that might have got the vaccine, um, but they didn't agree with the mandates. Yes, that was so, the same at the protest, I noticed. There were yes. a lot of people at the protest who had had the vaccine. Yes. So, so, so that, you know, we had their support. Um, but I mean, you know, this, this thing about, um, Fletcher's coming out with this, uh, decision on the 25th of November. Um, and then they said, Oh, what we'll do is we will send you out a query as to what you think about that. We, we, we are going to consult with you. And of course, nobody realized that the consultation had already been done. Rod Jackson had rubber stamped, uh, their risk assessment and the government had agreed to change the wording on the emergency act and all these other things. Um, so they sent out this multi-choice thing and then they said they were going to have a question and answer session. Um, Three question and answer sessions where people could um, ask questions about this mandate coming up. And then after the question and answer sessions and after our multi-choice questions, they would make a decision. There were two weeks left for us before they made a decision. They gave it two weeks. So if anybody um, if anybody wanted to go and get informed consent or, um, or research uh, the vaccine or anything like this, they 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 weren't able to get that time to do that before the question and answer sessions. No. So the question and answer sessions came through, um, and basically um, there were a lot of people that were questioning, you know, why are we having this mandate? Why do we have to have it now because of Omicron? Can't we do something else? Can't we just test people? Um, it, can't we it, Can't we um, uh, do other alternatives apart from the vaccine? And those people that are unvaccinated, um, you know, they're our work colleagues. So, uh, you know, how are they going to be treated? All these questions came up. Um, and one person actually asked, because the mandate actually said, um, we will, we will let you know on the 16th of December whether we're going to mandate. And then you are given to the 15th of February to get vaccinated. And we will terminate the unvaccinated on the 15th of March. <laughs> so it became very apparent very quickly that what Fletchers were doing was keeping their staff on over Christmas and New Year. Um, because they could not, uh, they wouldn't be able to replace us, even though we were the, the dregs, we were the unvaccinated. So they needed us to work for them during that time before they terminated us. Um, and which this is quite that- ironic, isn't it? Because what they're saying is we'll, we'll with, will withstand the risks through the Christmas period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, and and then, um, you know, Bruce McEwen, he's actually gone on record. I've got I've got the record. Uh, it took me forever, and, and I had to go around it in a very, um, uh, you know, backdoor way. But I got the transcripts 
of those question and answer sessions and I printed them out. And so I've got it in writing um, as to actually what he said. And one of the reasons they had wanted the three-month hiatus was not for our benefit so we could go and uh, decide whether we wanted to be vaccinated, which is what they said, that we want to give you time to go and consider. Um, but it was for the reason that they were afraid of losing staff and not being able to replace them. So they were going to now have three months to find staff for those they knew would not be vaccinated. So that was one of the reasons, plus the Christmas New Year thing. Uh, it's, that pretty, was, it's pretty disgusting. It's very disgusting and duplicitous. And, and it would break your heart having been an, an, an employee. Well, especially for people um, who one of our members has worked for 25 years mm. loyally, um, the, the most amazing, beautiful man. And um, he, you know, and, and all through this process, um, um, Fletcher's also saying, if you've worked for us for 25, 30, however many years, and you've got redundancy written into your contract, we're cancelling that. No if you way. Get vaccinated. Yep, they they cancelled the redundancies. So here's this poor man worked 25 years loyally for the company, never missed a sick day. You know all these things, and he gets his redundancy pulled from under him. Um, uh, you know there there were many like that. It makes me cry, Rodney. Me really cry. And and we're talking about the cream. You know the cream of people who who are prepared to stand on a principle and suffer horrendous cost but stand true. They're the people you want to be. Whatever your views about the vax, they're the people you want to be in the foxhole with, aren't they? Oh, I, you know, I, I guess at the time we weren't thinking of it like that, Rodney. We were just – I was just so shocked. I mean – for me personally, um, I, I had done research uh, because at that stage the FDA had sent out the pages of Pfizer's um, uh, tests, and one of the um, one of the problems with the vaccine was that anaphylactic shock. You could have anaphylactic shock and die from it. Um, and I'd had anaphylactic shock in a surgery years and years and years ago. So I actually asked my boss, I said to him, what about the people who can't get the vaccine because of medical reasons? I said, I've had anaphylactic shock, so so what's the story? And he said, oh, if anything happens, you can go to ACC. <laughs> Goodness me. Goodness me. Goodness me. Goodness me. That's said, health yeah. and safety, yeah. yeah. They should say that when, they, when, when you run up a ladder. You know, shouldn't there? No, if if anything happens and you, and the ladder isn't breaks, you can go to ACC. I don't think that would work. Oh my yeah. goodness me! Oh my goodness me! Now you're with uh, Reality Check Radio. It's real talk with Rodney Hyde. It's my great privilege uh, this morning to be talking to Penny Jackson, who um, is part of a group uh, taking a legal case against Fletcher Building. We're hearing the ins and outs of that and how fascinating it is. I have to say, it doesn't give you a great insight into the leadership of our uh, one of our large corporates. Uh, and while there is that negative of how people behave, they're also very good people. 
um, sadly quietly supporting, but not prepared to speak up. And we're also joined by the group's lawyer, Matthew Haig, who's keeping us up to speed in discussing the legal ramifications of this case. Now, Penny, the next thing, I guess, was the date rolled round. Oh, yes. So it was no surprise because, as I said, my my immediate boss, who was the branch operator, had walked through the office at one point and said, uh, and I said to him, do you think it's going to go through? And he said, oh, you know, I don't. I, I actually think it will. And I said, nothing's going to make any difference, is it? He said, no. Personally, he said, I don't think so. So this was before the decision came out. So as a branch operator, he he would have known what the decisions and what was going on behind the scenes. Um, and when it came out on the 16th of December, we were all shocked. Um, we thought, how, how could they do this? Um, uh, so... So, you know, this was only after two weeks to respond. But they pretended to be really, really nice and said, look, we will sit down and we will talk to anybody who has an issue with this um, and we will treat you individually, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, their risk assessment on their mandate policy had was a broad stroke. Uh, no risk assessment was done individually for anybody in the company. So those people who were working from home, like our group member who only went in for a Christmas party, um, wasn't risk assessed. Um, people in the garden centre who were working outside were not risk assessed. Nobody individually was risk assessed. It was a broad stroke risk assessment. Um, so I went to a meeting with my boss um with my one of my other colleagues and basically said to him so this um mandate says that we have to get vaccinated uh because we're we are the risk um how is it that if we get vaccinated then uh and you terminate our employment the next day we can come back into the premises as customers <laughs> 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 I said, are you going to are you going to mandate the customers? Are you going to put a sign out on the front door saying you have had to have tested negative for Omicron before you enter the premises? I said, are you going to do that? And he said, oh, don't be silly. That's not practical. <laughs> and I said, why not? Why isn't it practical? You're asking staff, but... Customers are coming through and you don't know whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated. So if we're such a risk, why is it not um, possible for you to insist that customers um, uh, come in and they've passed a negative test? Um, so it, 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 he just laughed and said it wasn't practical. Um, so that's okay. Uh, you know, it, it, it went on from there. The meeting went on. An HR, there was an HR person who attended that meeting. Um, but it, it, it was very, um, very one sided. They wouldn't listen and they kept on repeating the mantra that they were being fair and discussing things with me. Um, and that they weren't bullying or coercing or manipulating. Um, I brought up the fact uh, that uh, I also had religious beliefs mm -hmm. um, and that I had heard the vaccine had been developed with fetal cell cells and mm -hmm. I, there was no way I was going to get it for that reason either. 
Um, and I'd mentioned the anaphylactic shock. Um, but that didn't seem to make any difference. Um, both my colleague and I were the same. And we had got um, a religious exemption from our church. Um, and uh, But we were not able to use that. Um, because, uh, because the company said the only exemptions that we will give for the vaccine are if you go to the Ministry of Health and get an exemption that way. Um, so no informed consent, no exemptions, nothing was offered to us. Um, so we didn't even bring our religious exemptions in. Um, to management, um, we just couldn't believe that they would discriminate like that. On and and um, and so what happened was we all know that the Ministry of Health and Ashley Bloomfield at the time came out and said the only people to get a Ministry of Health uh, exemption probably around two hundred people, no more. Uh, how he knew that number, I don't know, but I believe the parliamentarians were given a choice as to whether they wanted to get a vaccine or not. Uh, so perhaps 120 plus their families with <laughs> <laughs> the Ministry of Health. <laughs> and he knew that number. <laughs> so for us poor people who were really fearful of, um, even for a medical reason like mine, the anaphylactic shock, who were really fearful of having the vaccine, we were not allowed informed consent or exemptions. Um, so it, it, at that stage, um, the, the decision came out on the 16th of December, as I say. Uh, we tried to talk to our boss about it. He didn't want to know. And I said to him, well, I, I, I actually you know, came full on and said to him, look, I believe the reason you're having us stay for three months is because you have to replace our positions and, um, you know, we're, we're working over Christmas and New Year. Of course, he denied that. Um, so we, we felt really coerced, bullied and manipulated. At that stage, I was working in the office and um, I was suffering panic attacks um, uh, couldn't sleep at night and I actually got shingles. Um, and, and <laughs> sometimes I just have to walk out of the office and sit downstairs and, and try and think about how crazy the world was, Rodney. <laughs> how could people treat each other like that? Anyway, I mean, that was sorry. I didn't mean to cry. That Not was, at all. We, I can. That, that was something that not only I was going through, but our group was going through, the people in our group. So we actually banded together and decided to have a little four-person group. We'd have a drink on a Friday night and we'd discuss things because we needed to support each other. Mm. And then I said, well, I'll start a I'll start a telegram channel and we just we just pop in there and you know, discuss things when we're not around. And, you know, it was becoming, in the office, it was becoming um, really hard to actually talk to each other even. If you were seen talking to each other, it was sort of like a no-no, you know. Um, you were told to get back to your workstation, you know. Um, it got that bad. So we would have this little drink on a Friday night and I started the Telegram channel and then... Um, <clears throat> through uh, different other channels, um, other people wanted to join the Telegram channel and the group 
grew from there. We we reached about 101 people that were having the same issues. With, um, but with Fletcher Building or with other organisations? Fletcher Building. Mm-hmm. Fletcher Building and their subsidiaries. Um, and, and that covered people from Higgins, Golden Bay Cement, Myco, Placemakers, um, all over New Zealand, everybody was being treated the same way. And um, that was just a very, very small percentage of those, I believe, that Fletcher Building terminated um, because, you know, the the, the rumour went round that they were trying to get a 1,000 people terminated um, and this was something that... Um, it was a rumour, I have to say, but it was something that um, they'd already done in what we called the Blue Moon when we were locking down and they had terminated a 1,000 people then. Well, I'd seen the writing on the wall because Fletcher Building were going digital um, and they needed less staff. So um, at that stage, I mean, uh, you know, anything was possible. How many people they terminated at the end of the day, I don't know, but there were there were 101 in total in our group um, that were constantly on Telegram supporting each other and helping each other through. So, um, uh, you know, it it was a very, very difficult period. I can't Um, imagine. I can't can't imagine it. I honestly can't imagine it. It is shocking. And if you hadn't lived through it, I mean, it's hard for me to uh, imagine it. We lived through it. Um, So you got terminated. So in the end, I mean, the three months passed. Um, I took sick leave. Others took sick leave. You, you could not, you could not work in that toxic environment. No. Uh, we took sick leave, and we ended up not being paid uh, while we were off work. Um, I, I got threatening letters that I had to go back to work or else. Um, and, from and management, so, from, yep, from your, yep, yep. My goodness. Yep. Um, uh, so I had to send in medical certificates to say that I was under stress and all the rest of it. Um, they didn't, I, I think they were desperate because they had nobody to replace me. I, I, I was sole charge in that office and the person who, um, I was training, um, uh, <clears throat> in the office to do some of the work I was doing, um, was pretty hopeless. Um, so there was no way she could have um, done the work I did. So they would have to bring an accountant in. And they did this. Um, you know, they had their accountancy office and head office in Auckland, and they had to bring an accountant in to, um, to the office to help out. Um, so I got these threatening emails saying, get back to work or else. Um, so I, I held up uh, I wasn't going to go back, and and a lot of our people said the same thing. They didn't want to work till the fifteenth of March. They felt used and abused. Um, they knew that they were going to be terminated, but they were just being used until the fifteenth of March to get Fletcher Building over a difficult period. Um, so so um, on the fifteenth of February, we were all told, um, you know, you you have to have made your decision by now. And if you do not tell us what your decision is, we will assume, this is what Fletcher Building said in their mandate, they will assume that you are not vaccinated and therefore you will be terminated. (laughs) So that was another thing. They were assuming that people weren't vaccinated if they didn't give them their vaccine status. Um, uh, So so the, 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 the terminations came and then four weeks later they reversed them. 
No. Four weeks later, they reversed. No. Yes, yes, yes. They reversed the mandate and only a couple of people in our group got offered their jobs back. Only a couple of people. But that was discriminatory in itself. You would think that. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got to just, you have to take me through this because some of that logic escaped me. You had four weeks, you'd been advised you're going to be terminated because unless you could say that you were vaccinated, you were gone. And what did they then reverse? They reversed their mandate policy four weeks later. So you did not have to be vaccinated to work for them. And that came into effect on what date? Oh, look, I don't have the date. In oh, front. no, okay, don't worry. But, like, was it four weeks after the 15th of March or before the 15th of March? Or on no, the- after, after, after the 15th of March. So they terminated us on the 15th of March and given us... And, and then reversed the mandate. Yeah, and then they reversed the mandate. And they offered a couple of people their jobs back, but, you know, the vast majority of us weren't offered our jobs back. And this comes back to what I what I surmise, Rodney, about the whole thing, is that it worked out well for Fletcher's bottom line because they needed to get rid of stuff. You know, like I... This was this was the rumor going around. It's only a rumor. I'm not saying it's actual fact, but the rumor going around was that they needed to get rid of a thousand staff out of Fletcher Building, uh, and this worked in their favor to do that. Over that year, 2021, Fletcher Building made unprecedented profits, bigger than they'd ever ever made before, and their CEO got something like six million plus and bonuses and wages for that year. Creepers, creepers. Uh, and they weren't paying their wages subsidy back to the government. Now, that wages subsidy was, um, th- this was reported in the media, by the way, uh, that wages subsidy was taxpayers' money. It certainly wasn't paid to the employee. Not all of it was paid to the employees. You're on Radley Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're listening to Penny Jackson. We've got Matthew Haig to comment on the legal implications from Frontline Law. We're reaching out to Fletcher Building because we would love to have you come on in response to Penny's experience and help us understand how you sleep at night when you hear what your organisation did to good people what you did to Penny, so you're welcome to come on my show. I will give you a very fair and reasonable hearing because there's always another side. We'd love to hear it. Okay, Penny, you were had lost your job. Then what? Uh, the, the ramifications afterwards, uh, we thought um, at this stage we had been um, – uh, desperate to get some legal advice and, and we'd, we'd taken on frontline law to help us. Um, and they've been wonderful, I have to say that, um, all through this process. Um, we, a group of us decided we would do a, a personal grievance against um, Fletcher Building for what they'd done um, and, and unjustified dismissal, as we could see. Um, the, you know, the, the after effects didn't stop there, though, Rodney. What happened was that a few of us had to sell houses, move addresses, um, 
you know, that, that some of them lost their lost their identity even. You know, for men who are, you know, you're a man, yes, you're the provider of the family, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, there was a lot of humiliation and shame. Um, there's one guy sent me a message last night and said, I worked for the company for 15 years, you know, um, loyally, loved my job, loved what I did, had good workmates, they were friends. He said, when I was terminated, he said, I felt so ashamed. The humiliation was awful. He couldn't hold his head up. He lost friendships um, and, and family members um, shunned him. He was discredited wherever he looked. And there were others in the group exactly the same, like my man who drove trucks and got bonuses and was awarded, you know, amazing things. Um, he he was in a small community where everybody knew each other. And he was humiliated, discredited, and felt terrible. He was the provider of the family. You know, for men, I think it's a lot worse, especially when you put your heart and soul into working for a company and you do the best you can do, um, and then you're suddenly terminated for nothing more than a medical decision. So, you know, these were the things we went through. Some of us got sick. As I said, I got shingles, couldn't sleep at night, Um, afraid to lose my house and mortgagee sale. Um, had to sell. Others had to sell their houses. Others were having um, problems as well. Um, And still others are living in vans and caravans to this day, temporary accommodation. They can't get work uh, because, of course, you can't get a referral and a reference (laughs) from your old (laughs) employer. Uh, So they're still living in caravans and vans and things like that. Um, so one of them's couch surfing with family, um, got nowhere to go, <laughs> no, no, no job, no, no help financially. Um, you know, she has to rely on on family couch surfing. Um, you know, and 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 for people who were proud of their work and wanted to work, had, having to go on to a benefit to keep them going. Um, was just the nail in the coffin, I think, for some of them. But that's the only way they could survive. You know, you, you can't get a job. You can't get a reference. You, you, you're living in temporary accommodation. You're couch surfing. You, 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 one of our members uh, at the time had, um, had medical issues and actually told Fletcher's that before he was terminated. They didn't believe him. Another one was terminated on the day that he was at a funeral of a close family member. So the, the person who terminated him knew that he was at this funeral. Um, so, you know, the, the, these are the after effects. Um, you know, close-knit small communities know that you have uh, been terminated. You don't have a job. Um, so, but, but Penny, you and your group are fighting back. Yes, we are. 
Yes, we are. We're trying to. How lovely does that sound? If we, we're trying to, but it's a black hole, Rodney. <laughs> We've come through this legal process, and Matthew might be able to help here. Yes, well, why don't we hop across, give you a spell. Penny, may I say how wonderful that exposition was? And I'm sure I speak on behalf of all the listeners how much we love and support you. And you are a very, very brave and principled woman. You've done everything right. And we have enormous respect for you and your group. Because this is a fight for every one of us, including the vaccinated that you're having. What is your Give a Little page so we can help support you? Okay, so the Give a Little page is, um, it's called, uh, I've sent a link through, it's called Underdog Fights Goliath for Justice. Right. Please help us. We'll put that on the webpage with, uh, um, for you. Now, Matthew, tell us about the case. Mm. It's pretty hard. Wrenching, isn't it? I mean, we've got to get into the legal side, but at a personal mm. level, that's mm. pretty tough. Yeah, look, it really is. And, you know, the words that came to mind as Penny was speaking was the politics of kindness. I think what we've seen in Penny's experience and the many others who have been affected in similar ways is this is the politics of kindness of this government. Um, and I mean that in a very sarcastic, cynical way, because mm. clearly it's not. Never, never, I, I, never outside of wartime when conscription has a government been more brutal to a people. And I hope that people who haven't been directly affected by this or who ha have had loved ones affected by this can have the empathy and understanding to put themselves in the shoes of the people that have been affected. Mm. Because New Zealanders are pretty good at being kind. Um, pretty good at being un understanding of others who are in hard positions, and, and this is one of them. So I hope that people who listen can imagine what it's like to be affected as Penny and the others have. Tell us about the legal case. Sure. So this is a case before the Employment Relations Authority. This is an employment matter. Some of the other cases we've done have been challenges to government mandates, and that's been by way of judicial review in the High Court. This is a different jurisdiction, um, and rightly so, because it's an employment case in which an employer acting in a private capacity has imposed a vaccine mandate on its employees. So what we're saying is that Fletcher Building has breached its obligations of good faith. A lot of that relates to Penny's talk about the risk assessment. Now, an employer has an obligation to consult with employees before they impose a decision that could have an adverse effect like their dismissal. And clearly, in the case of the vaccine policy, that was the effect. So they had an obligation to consult with employees. What that means is they had to provide all relevant information and provide them an opportunity to comment before a decision is made. Now, we say that the risk assessment was flawed and that the information, the detail that underpinned this so-called risk assessment wasn't provided properly to the affected employees. Penny said it was presented as a, 
a fait accompli. We, we agree it was predetermined. They came up with this risk assessment, they presented it and then said, before we decide whether or not to impose the policy, please give us your comment. Well, that's a bit like saying, here's a policy that will result in your dismissal. But before we, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not proper consultation. So that's part of it. Now, the other parts of the case is discrimination. Penny talked about some people have religious beliefs against receiving the vaccination. Now, not everyone does. Not all Christians do. Not all people of other faiths have those beliefs, and that's absolutely fine. The wonderful thing about Christianity and other faiths is that it's not monolithic. People do have different beliefs. And in Penny's case and some others, they believe that because the vaccine had been developed using a cell line descended from cells likely taken from an aborted fetus in the 1970s, um, and that cell line is known as HEK293, that to receive the vaccine that had been developed and tested based on that cell line was to have a degree of complicity in that abortion that they were, that was unacceptable to them. They had a religious belief against abortion. And, and that's, that's perfectly understandable, right? Yeah, it, it really is. And you know, you don't have to share that belief, but what yeah. I think is is needed is we accept people are entitled to that belief. Yes. So, look, um, that's, that's the religious part and the discrimination part of it. And then finally, of course, these people were dismissed. So we say the dismissal was unjustified. And by that, we we say that, look, the other issues are standalone issues, but they're related as well. A fair and reasonable employer acting in those circumstances could not reasonably have made the decision to dismiss those people. You know, I'd, I'd go back to the risk assessment. Penny didn't spend most of her life in the workplace. People spend a lot of their life in the workplace, but actually most of their life is spent in the community, in their homes, around people for which there is no vaccine mandate. Penny brought up the really good point that Fletcher Building allowed customers to come in who were unvaccinated, who were untested. Now, that's fine. But how on earth can they say it was so important that employees be vaccinated that if they were not, they should be dismissed, they should lose their jobs? That doesn't make sense. That's not something a fair and reasonable employer no, could you, You'd have to say, wouldn't you, for a proper risk assessment, you'd say, what's the risk to our employees mm. of having Penny there versus not having Penny there. Well, and that, you and the, I both yeah. know that is an infinitesimal, if any difference. Well, that's right. But I'd go further. I'd say yes. that's the starting point. But then the next question is, okay, so if that's the risk, what effect would a control measure like vaccination have on that risk? Yes. And we know, and Fletcher Building knew, oh, yes. knew yes. that vaccination had negligible effect against the spread and transmission. So as a control measure, whatever the underlying risk, and we say yes. that the underlying risk was comparable to the community, it wasn't any higher, all the rest of it. And the vaccine wouldn't have changed. Difference. Exactly. It made no difference. So risk assessment was rubbish. and That's you why know, you're the lawyer. Good on you. Yes, well, I've had to do a lot of reading about risk assessments. And interestingly enough, it's, it's not stuff we have to make up. There's actually a New Zealand-Australian standard on risk assessment. It goes to a couple of hundred pages more than I ever wanted to know about risk assessments. But the point is that this is black and white settled in terms of policy and the approach you should take. Fletcher Building failed in that approach. Tell me, um, I didn't want to interact Penny at the time, but I wanted to. Tell me about this 
change the government did to presumably an order in council to allow Fletcher Challenge to introduce this mandate? Mm. So there was advocacy from some employers, particularly large ones, particularly ones who were quite close to the government, to have legislation introduced that allowed them to make a private mandate. Now, what the government did do was implement Schedule 3A of the Employment Relations Act, and that did talk about vaccine mandates. It talked about the process to follow if someone was unvaccinated. It didn't go as far as to give employers the ability to impose a vaccine mandate in a way that was inconsistent with the existing employment obligations. And in fact, what it, there, there are actually some protections within that schedule, one being that they had to exhaust all reasonable alternatives prior to dismissing an employee. And in Penny's case, she said, you know, she's working at home for long periods. She could have continued that. Um, she was willing to test. There's all kinds of alternatives. And we've seen some really good cases coming out of the authority that confirm that. So the schedule gave them at the time some comfort but didn't remove all of Penny's rights and didn't remove the need for a good faith process as as defined within the Employment Relations Act. Correct. So, um, oh boy. Mm. You know, I think I have no sympathy for Fletcher's, which is a very large employer with vast resources and advice and my view is that they impose the mandate not for legitimate reasons, but for ideological reasons, um, in part prompted by the government's messaging around COVID vaccination. But who I do have sympathy for are the small employers who, in good faith, with the best of intentions, took what the government was saying at face value and are now finding themselves open to significant legal liability. And that's some of the cases we've seen come through the courts and tribunal recently. And I do have sympathy for those people. I think this all goes back to government. I think, you know, Jacinta Ardern said herself that in the beginning, when vaccines were first introduced, she wasn't considering implementing a mandate. Mm. Well, I don't know what changed, but something did because that was implemented. It was a misstep by government. It was the most significant breach of rights that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, it was wrong. What I would like to see happen is that hopefully the incoming government acknowledge the wrong that happened and take steps, whether it's through some amendments in the New Zealand Bill of Rights Act or other parts of the law, to make it more difficult for this to happen again. But it's interesting too, because clearly there's a big misstep, um, whether deliberate or not, in that uh Schedule 3A change because they appeared to be given comfort to employer employers, but in actual fact, it wasn't the comfort that you would have expected. Well, it wasn't because, the comfort. Yes. It wasn't the comfort that Fletcher's wanted. No. And Fletcher's are now hoisted by, I mean, the government, could have easily said, yeah, you can you can decide to implement mandates and there'll be no recourse through the tribunal or the courts mm. for a dismissal for this basis. And that would have been a hands-down misere. But they didn't. 
Um, and in a funny way, from a government's perspective and from a Fletcher's uh, building perspective, that's a huge uh, misstep because if they'd done it to the intention of what they were trying to achieve, Penny and her group wouldn't have a leg to stand on. But as it is, I would have thought it's quite a strong case. Yes, I, I think it is too. Now, why hasn't it been heard? Well, the courts are a, and tribunal is a slow-moving mechanism. Um, it's frustrating because you have clients, Penny and the group, but also a range of other clients who this, this is really taking the toll on them, both financially and in terms of stress. And they just want their day in court in front of the tribunal. We're very supportive of that. Um, why is it taking so long? Well, I won't go into too much detail around some of the procedural back and forths in that particular case, but the unfortunate reality is that these things do take time. Um, too much time in my view, but that's the reality of it. Is there a lot of opportunity for the other side, the respondents, to delay through the process? Yeah, there is. So I'll, I'll speak in general terms again. Yes, there certainly is, particularly for um, a large employer who has the resources to engage um, lawyers who will throw up any procedural roadblock. Yes. And I'm speaking in general terms. Luckily for Penny and the group, uh, Frontline Law are good at what we do. We've done a number of these cases with um, significant success. So we're very optimistic that uh, things will end well. It's just a matter of getting there. We saw a similar thing with Christchurch insurance claims following the earthquake, where the insurers would have respectable QCs just pretending to misread letters, seek wait the length of time to respond, then say we want clarification on this. And they were winning as long as they were delaying and they could delay for years. Yes. yes and I mean. then the day before it would go to court, they would make an offer. Very frustrating. Uh, that's an, an unfortunate aspect of the legal system. But yes, but of course it just puts Fletcher Building in a more negative light. I think it uh, does. And, and unfortunately for Fletcher's, this group is determined. Isn't it so lovely? Good on them for oh, my goodness. Out. Is there anything else you'd like to add about the legal implications of this and the um, the case? Hmm. Or do you think we've covered it? Look, I think we've – gosh, there's so much to talk about. Um, we, we've been really lucky and privileged to represent a range of clients um, – in, in challenging vaccine mandates both private, privately and publicly. Um, I, I think the only thing I would add is maybe another gripe from me, and that is we have this Royal Commission on the COVID response. Um, the chair of the Royal Commission is an epidemiologist who has openly called for stricter COVID measures prior to being appointed as the chairperson. The terms of reference for the Royal Commission are so narrow as to preclude any meaningful analysis of vaccine mandates and other significant restrictions. What I would like to see is the incoming government stopping that Royal Commission, appointing another with a wider terms of reference, appointing someone independent, free from a a perceived bias or actual bias, because this is a huge thing for New Zealand. 
Yes. We've seen a personal cost from Penny in the group, but economically it's had significant effect on our country. We, you know, it, the New Zealanders are entitled to a Royal Commission that will genuinely inquire into that process. Absolutely. That's um, nice. It's like everything of this present government. It was a total sham and a propaganda device, the Royal Commission. Tell me, Matthew, is it part of your case, the bullying and toxicity of the workplace as uh, well, or are you just concentrating on the mandates and the dismissal? Yeah, look, the focus is on the dismissal, but... I think we will, and yes, it is part of our case, and it will go maybe to damages more than anything else. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what would what are the sort of sanctions that you would be expecting possible on a good day that could occur with this case? So let's mm. imagine everything goes swimmingly as your best expectations. So I'm not holding you to this as a, as a as a legal thing, but on a really good day, everything goes well. Um, what could be the the possible outcome? Well, we're hoping. Well, not hoping for. We are asking the tribunal to award compensation to the affected individuals. We're asking for the authority to impose a penalty against Fletcher's, and that that penalty be paid to the individuals in equal parts. Now, what we're not asking for is reinstatement for obvious reasons, the length of time since it happened and just the fundamental breakdown in trust that has occurred between Fletcher's and the individuals caused by Fletcher's. Mm. And um, how many individuals are in the case, on the case? Sure, there is. And I'm just going to scroll to the top. Is it is it 11 penny or is it slightly less? nine that are going forward at the moment, but we've got 36 in the whole group. Um, and Fletcher's wanted to um, separate us out into the different Fletcher building subsidiaries like Placemakers, Higgins, Myco, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we wanted to go as a full group, which are about 36 of us, um, but Fletcher's wouldn't look at that. So um, the first group to go forward to the ERA is... Um, the placemakers subsidiary or Fletcher Distribution. It was under Fletcher Distribution and Fletcher Building. So that's the first group. Um, and then there are groups after us. So there's still people waiting even to be heard on this um, in our group. Um, and we're hoping for a positive outcome uh, so that they don't have to go through what we've gone through in the last 18 months. It's been a black hole, Rodney. Um, and there's been delay after delay after delay um, and, and uh, you know, demands from various people. So, so you know, this has gone on for 18 months and I think the ERA have um, implied that we may not even get a hearing until 2024 sometime. So, yes. you know, we, we, we really want to move this along because there are people that are hurting financially, emotionally, health-wise, et cetera. They want to get on with their lives. Um, and it, 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 we just want to move the group through this phase and, and sort of get them supported and, and get mm. them get some justice for them, Rodney. Yes, okay. um, You know, so, so the Give a Little page is basically also to raise funds for the legal costs um, because mm. after 18 months it's, it's, it's costing okay. us quite a bit to keep going. So, um, Tell us the Give a Little page again, Penny. 
it's it's called um Oh, where am I? Sorry. I'll it's called back. Underdog Goliath Fastus. Underdog, Underdog Fights Goliath Great. for Justice. Great. Thank you for that. Now, um, Matthew, is there a possibility in this process for Fletcher's building to settle ahead of the case? There's In, in every dispute, there's always that potential. And, and actually, I think that that's always the right outcome for both parties. Um, so I, I would be hopeful that that's still on the table, but ultimately that, that is up to Fletcher's. Yeah. And secondly, presumably there'll be people who worked for Fletcher's who were dismissed, who are not part of the group. Do they become the beneficiaries of this case? No, it would only be the named applicants okay. in, in these proceedings and the Hard thing about employment law is that you've only got 90 days to raise a personal grievance, except for in cases of sexual harassment, which is now a year. What that means, though, is unless they've raised a personal grievance, which simply means bringing the problem to the attention of the employer within 90 days, that they may be out of time. But I can't say that without talking to them about their individual case first. Got it. Uh, well, thank you, Matthew, for taking this case. Thank you for taking the other cases. Thank you. I should say to uh, listeners that Matthew is a former serviceman and policeman, and he's given wonderful service to New Zealand uh, in those capacities, put his life at risk for us. And here he is uh, using his legal training and his legal skills and legal experience to stand up for the rights of all New Zealanders, which is what this case is about. And he has done so consistently through his life. Um, being prepared to fight for it on the battlefield and in the courts and tribunals. So thank you, Matthew. You're a, it's a privilege to have you on our show. Penny, last word to you. Okay. <laughs> what do you want to tell us? Thank you for having me on. Pardon me. And 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 I just and I just want to thank the listeners for hearing our story. I, I think that this is a, a much wider story than uh, just our little group. Mm. I think that um, there are so many people in New Zealand have been impacted by these mandates and there are so many people still suffering uh, like we are. Um, and, and my heart goes out to you all, basically. I just want to say I'm so sorry. Um, I want to see some justice done. And I'm just... And I'm just saying, um, let's see some justice done. Let's see this 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 case heard. Let's see some justice for some people, um, and and know that everybody else that was affected, you know, you have our support too. This is uh, justice for us all, Penny. You don't need yeah. to. We understand that perfectly. Yeah. This is uh, real talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Reality Check Radio. We've had been blessed uh, this morning to have two wonderful uh, Kiwis. Uh, Matthew Haig from Frontline Law um, and Penny Jackson uh, for the Fletcher Building Group. Amazing, amazing um, what they've been through, but it's a familiar story, is it not? And here are two people who are standing up for us and we will be following their case. They will be updating us. And remember, there's that webpage, 
uh, the Give a Little page, which is David Fights Goliath. Have no, underdog, right underdog, 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 underdog fights Goliath. And also, and also, please send us messages of support um, at twenty fifty seven for a text. Email us at inbox at rallycheck.radio. You know I love receiving your messages, but I know Penny and Matthew would love to receive them too. We wish you every bit of luck uh, and support, Penny and Matthew. And now that I am a Christian, I'll be praying for your case, and I'll be praying for you to have the strength to see it through, as I'm sure you will. So thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for having us, Rodney. Thank you, Rodney. Thank there you. There we have it. There we have it. What a what a terrible time that New Zealand has been through, and it's brought out the best and the worst in us. And it's the best and the worst, not in terms of people. You know, there's a lot of people who did some terrible things, but we've got to realize that badness runs through all our hearts, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn was pointed out to us. But here are two people who have reached into the best parts of their heart, the very best parts of their heart, and they've found the strength and the purpose to stand up at terrific cost for all of us, not just for all of us here now, but for our children and their grandchildren, and we have to salute them. Uh, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RadleyCheck.radio. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send us a text, 2057. You can send us an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Well, we've got one of our all-time favorites now. I've been referring to him as the gardening guru, but I realize that's mistaken. When people ring up Wally Richards, they call him the plant doctor. And why do they call him the plant doctor? Because you ring Wally and he starts asking you questions, just like your doctor does. And he's looking for his, he's doing his diagnostics on your plant to work out what nutrient they might be missing, whether they're overwatered, whether they're too dry, whether there's too much wind, whether the, the soil's missing a fertilizer, whether there's a pest and what pest it could be. And so we welcome to the show our plant doctor, Dr. Wally Richards. Is that Thank how you. it goes for you, Wally? Yeah, no, that's good. I, I like that. Because back in years ago when I had a garden centre, um, I had a little badge and it had Wally Richards, plant doctor. And, and everybody used to say, oh, yeah, okay, doctor. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, I'm going to call you doctor. And you sort of, when people ring you, and and or actually you ring them because they put an order through and you ring them just to make sure that the order's going to be the right thing, and you give them a bit of a quiz to do a proper diagnostic, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sometimes... People will order a thing, and then I ask them, well, um, if you don't mind me asking, what are you going to do with that? And they tell me, and I say, oh, well, actually, you've got the wrong thing. And mm. they say, really? 
And I'll say, no, you'd be better to use blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. So um, you're the doctor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dr. Richards, it's getting, I could feel it, it's getting, here's me, first year a gardener, and I'm excited because I can feel it, spring. Yes. It's a good time to be a gardener, right? Oh, yeah. It, it's it's a time of the year when it really starts to happen. And um, uh, the smell of that first tomato plant, you know, mm, beautiful. I love that. Uh, it, you don't smell them so well later on in the season, but it's a fresh, young tomato plant. I love tomatoes. I absolutely, with salt on them and a little dash of pepper, I can eat, I can eat a lot of tomatoes. Uh, no, it's very, very exciting. Now, one of the things that happens, Wally, this time of year, is you're digging, you know, you're getting your garden already, and you get the neighbour's cats. Yeah, this is a big problem. My um, mother, my mother, God bless her, had a beautiful flower garden. <coughs> she was driven to distraction by her lovely neighbour's cat. Right. It would yes. come in, dig up <coughs> the plants. It wouldn't poo anywhere else but my mother's garden. Well, yeah. Well, think about it. See, we go out and our old garden beds or flower beds or whatever, um, we revitalize them, we turn them over. There's lovely, beautiful uh, soil there. And all the cats in the neighborhood see the sign that you put up supposedly, you toilet in town, come in, <laughs> pussies. My God, and do they? And there's nothing worse than you're frustrating around in the garden and you come across a half-digested can of cat food. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yuck. My mother, and then this <clears throat> cat would scratch my mother's plants out. Mm, yeah, they do. They, they, they think it's a game. Poo kickers do the same thing. That, that, they're a bigger nuisance than cats if you've got poo kickers around, right? They, they will come along and they will just dig everything up. And it wasn't that my mother didn't like cats or didn't like her neighbour, but she hated the bloody cat using her beautiful garden as a toilet. Right, yep. Now, we have a solution. In fact, I found the solution, oh, maybe 30, 40 years ago, and the solution is nepheline. Now, nepheline is what used to be in mothballs before they banned yeah. mothballs, right? That's that granny's, woolly's mothball yeah. thing, right? Um, and what happened um, sometime, or oh, two or three years ago, in actual fact, you may have remember that kids were getting mothballs. And these days, they think anything that's round must be a lolly. And they were shoving them in their mouths and having to go to hospital and having a mothball extracted or something, right? So the government at the time um, turned around and said, right, no more mothballs. It's too dangerous for children. So they got banned, and along with that, nepheline. So I contacted um, EPA and said to them, well, um, Nepheline, we use that and we sell it as a cat repellent. And they said, really? We didn't know that. I said, well, I've only been doing it for 20-odd years or more. Oh, okay. And they said, well, um, cats are not um, moths. 
I said, no, they're, they're quite different, actually. They're, they're <laughs> they mammals. Could, no, but you could have a kitten that identified as a moth. Yeah, on an off chance, <laughs> one like maybe. And anyway. Because one of the aspects of it, of course, mothballs was an insecticide to deter moths. Now, in our country, you must register an insecticide with the government and pay them, uh, or pay the piper, a lot of money to have that registration and repeat it every year. Now, nobody, of course, from time memorial, when the first settlers came here with their mothballs, um, had ever registered. So that was a no-no. You can't have uh, mothballs for uh, deterring moths. But cats were a different exception, and that had them puzzled. Was there any rule that said you couldn't deter cats? (laughs) (laughs) Nephilim, right? And, And they came back to me after a week or two, and they said, look, We've talked about it, and we've decided that you can sell Nephilim as cat repellent. Do you know how to spell Nephilim? Nephilim? Oh, yeah, I I do. I just have to look it up. (laughs) Is it with an N? N A P H T E N L E N N L E N E Nephilim. Nephilim. I've never heard of it. Um, it, It's an interesting chemical. Um, So the condition was I had to put it in a childproof container. It could be flakes or dust only. It couldn't be in a solid form like a ball or a disc. And, um, And it had to have the label that they told me I had to put on the label, right? And I said, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, good to go. So... The, the story with cat repellent, Nephilim. So I've looked it up. Here's how you spell it, Wally. N-A-P-H-T-H-L-E-N-E is a white solid that evaporates easily. Fuels such as petroleum and coal contain naphthalene. Nep- it's also called white tar, tar camphor mm. and has been used in mothballs and moth flakes. Okay. Yeah. I'd right. never heard of it. Okay. Actually, it's got several uses besides being a cat repellent um, and, of course, deterring moths or the, because of the smell. Um, but if you're storing diesel and petrol, you know how they can get a bug after a period of time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You put a little bit of naphthalene, like a tablespoon, into your, uh, what, 10-litre container or 20-litre container of na- uh, diesel, your storage, and... and the bug's dead. It's gone. Wow. It, it's, oh. it's excellent. It also increases the octane rating of the fuel, <laughs> right? You get a double benefit. So you can, like, put some naphthalene down into your petrol tank or into your diesel tank and so forth, and you'll get a few more octane out of it. Mm. Um, How anyway. do you know all this, Wally? Oh, I don't know. I, I just pick up information along the way. If, you, if you're selling a product, it's good to know all the yeah. other benefits of it. Anyway, so what you do with naphthalene, if it's in a dry situation, like say in a carport where it doesn't get rained on and everything, and you put it around to stop the cats peeing against the doors or whatever, um, then it will last for weeks and weeks and weeks just slowly evaporating. But if you put it in somewhere where it's going to get rained on or watered on, it goes very quickly within a matter of, you know, days or hours or whatever, depending upon the amount of water. 
So what I suggest for people to do to rainproof it in the garden that's open, you know your two-litre plastic milk bottles? Mm -hmm. Well, you take a two-litre milk bottle and you cut the bottom off, this Mm -hmm. base, right? You take the cap off the other end and then you put a rock inside so it doesn't blow around. And then inside that, you put about a tablespoon of the flakes. And then it's got the handle there. It's sitting, it's laying on its side, of course. And you sit that in the middle of where you want to protect. And then you scatter a bit of the flakes around. And if you're into your veggie garden area, of course, you don't want it going into onto the soil. So onto the grass or whatever, because it's a chemical. So it's just another chemical going to your food chain. Now, when the cat comes along from next door or wherever, they smell this. Now, my thoughts are that the smell is like a great big moggy came through there, marked the territory, oh. and and if he comes back and I'm here, I'm history <laughs> because it's of such cat. a strong smell. Big cat, my God, let's get out of here. And, and they're deterred completely. Um in 95% of the cases, there's only been the odd case where cats obviously had sinus problems or something and couldn't smell it. But otherwise, it, it's it's the most successful remedy for keeping cats away. It doesn't affect dogs, though. Dogs don't seem to mind because if, if it's a big cat that's been through, they're probably they, looking for it to chase it. <laughs> so my mother's um, garden, I'm guessing, her flower garden, the one that were, where this cat was going, was like 10 metres by a metre, right? Right. How many milk bottles would she need? Oh, maybe a couple would be adequate. Is that um, right? One third of the way in, one third each end, and then sprinkle a bit around the perimeter. Um, and how long given, say, Auckland weather, would that have lasted, do you think? Inside the milk bottle for weeks. Really? Outside the milk bottle, within a couple of um, hours of rain, gone. Well, I wish we'd known that, Wally, um, because it caused a lot of disruption between my mother and her neighbour. Both mm. the, cat, the cats passed on, the neighbours passed on, and my mother's passed on, God rest them all. Right. Um, but at the time, it was very difficult because um, the neighbor loved her cat as much as my mother loved her garden, if you know mm. what I mean. And so it was very, very awkward. And they tried a lot of commercial products. Um, nothing seemed to work to right. scare that bloody cat, but she didn't, we'd never heard of naphthalene. So, how do we get naphthalene? We yeah, we did Wally Richards. Yeah, some garden centres have it, uh, and yeah. it's called Wally's Cat Repellent. It's yes. a green label with a big scary cat on there, and um, otherwise through our mail order, um, the O eight hundred mail order website. And can you tell me, your friend, is it very expensive? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm just put my name down for another BMW if that helps. <laughs> Cat repellent. um, My retail on that currently is a 250 gram container, retail for $20. How much would that, how much protection? How many times could my mother have put that in three milk bottles for several weeks Um, at a time? 
That would probably last for two or three seasons using the milk bottle trip. Wow. Well, that would have been... If, if you didn't, it means that every time it rained or you watered the garden, you'd have to go and yes. put some more, and then I'd have to buy another BMW. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you do love your BMWs, Wally. No, no, um, I, I haven't had one for years. <laughs> so it's naphthalene, and you call it Wally's cat repellent. Wally's cat repellent, yes. Mm. Um, you're very good on your orders, Wally. Uh, if someone makes an order, you can get it out that day or the next day? At the moment, um, because new season and even the gardens are starting to stock up now, um, we would be about a day or two behind getting the orders out. Okay. The problem, of course, is only really two and a half of us. Um, yeah. My partner's son, he does a bit of packaging on the weekend. But it, not only do we have to get the orders made up, but we have to pack the products into the bottles, jars, bags, whatever yeah. as well. So um, I, after we finish talking today, I'm going to be going off to the warehouse to probably do an hour's work to get the stuff ready for the orders going out tomorrow. Good on you. Mm. Good on you. Well, you've got, you got a lot of great products. Now, um, I should tell you something. You sent out an email uh your regular email and i encourage listeners to get it because it's a great read and you touched on a subject dear to my heart because i too have a worm farm really yes and um i got into composting and i got in into a worm farm i have to say i didn't know how it would go and i did i was trying to convince the kids worms were a good pet because they all want cats and dogs and I go, oh, cats and dogs. I said, why don't you have some worms? You know, because worms are great pets. And they weren't as enamored of having worms as I was, so I've still got the cat and dog problem. But um, I, I, I just made my own out of a couple of plastic things, and it's not been very robust. But I was surprised um, how great a worm farm is mm, yeah. and how much fun it is. Oh, it is. It's great. So tell us, I'm going to be embarrassed now because I would have done everything the wrong way, but I started out not quite knowing what I was doing and I, I read around and I ordered some tiger worms from Cromwell and they duly arrived and I have halved the worms twice and put the worms into my compost and, man, they've gone, I, I gave, you know, and I, I, I did what you said, I put some molasses in my compost and, um, man, are there worms. They're just wonderful worms going through that. And, like, my garden was very clay. I put, right. it, in, I put it in a good place for sun, but mm -hmm. a bad place for wind and a bad place for the soil. Right. But with this compost on it and the worms, it's just transformed it. It's just a living ecosystem now, you know. I just love it. It's so rich yeah. and dark. Right. And the worms and the worm farm, I've still got my worm farm going gangbusters. Um, I've got my worm farm uh, at present in my tunnel house. Right. Because uh, I thought my worms would like to be a little bit warmer. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me about worms and worm farming. Okay. Well, the story was just oh, a month or two ago, a lady rang me up and she was looking to try and get the original New Zealand-made a worm farm called Worm Around, right? Now, Worm Around uh, is a really 
deluxe worm farm. Um, it's heavy-duty black plastic. Um, it's moulded. Um, and the company in Palmerston North uh, that makes them, um, KBL, they – I got in contact with them. I bought a couple of them. This is years ago, 20-odd years ago, and um, set them up and got them going. And I was actually selling them on behalf of them. They, I would take the orders through the internet or whatever, and they would send them out. Well, the company changed hands and went to another company. And at one stage, Mitre 10 and I think Bunnings uh, stocked the worm around. But then coming in from Australia with some cheaper plastic ones, not very good, as I'm told by one or two people who bought them. And, um, of course, being cheaper, um, the more expensive deluxe model um, wasn't the same call, and they stopped manufacturing. So I contacted the owner of the company and um, re-established a relationship with them, and he said, well, we've got the mould store. We just haven't done anything because, you know, nobody's interested. I said, well, I've got one person anyway that would like to get one. Um, how about doing a run for me? I said, well, to make it worthwhile, do five. I'll take a gamble and see if they'll sell or not. So I wrote that article about worm farming. And anyway, my God, not only have the five sold, now I've got two extra orders <laughs> over oh, and above wow. the five. And, and people... In some instances, when they rang and, and ordered the worm, for, they said, I've been looking for these yolks and, and just couldn't find them anywhere because they knew how good they were. So anyway, I, I've ordered another five to be done. In fact, I think I'll have to increase that order now. The advantage of worm farming is your kitchen scraps and your dog poo that you pick up and your cat poo and anything like that goes into your worm farm, right? The tiger worms, which are the wrigglers, they, they've got stripes and so forth, they're a surface working worm, and the birds don't touch them, interestingly enough. Uh, they're a bit like those um, caterpillars and the pepper trees. The, mm. the birds don't touch them uh, for some reason. It's funny because I've noticed that. Uh, like yeah. they, uh, on my comp I put them on my compost and they're all on the top. And you know, if if I go anywhere else and disturb the soil, the birds are into it. And um, on my compost, no birds appeared with the tiger worms. I hadn't realised that they they weren't edible to a bird. Yeah, well, they're not attracted to them, or they're not mm. edible. Maybe they've got a smell about them. I haven't noticed. But mm. anyway, like originally, like in the farm situation, in days gone by, if you lifted up a dry cow pad. Underneath would be all the tiger worms. That was one of their main jobs was on the farms, um, breaking down the cow manure, um, the big hard plop, you know, how mm. cows go. And uh, underneath you'd always find a, a pile of tiger worms, um, breaking it all down, making it available for the grass around. Well, what I do myself, I have um, like an ice cream container in the kitchen, on the bench, so when you're peeling your spuds or chopping um, up the leaves off the lettuce and so forth, the stuff that you're not going to use goes into the ice cream container and then I take it uh, when it's full or thereabouts 
and put it in the worm farm. The worm farm comprises the worm around of three tiers. The bottom is a holding tank for the worm pea, right? And then the next layer up, in which you start off with that, um, you put newspaper over the um, plate, which has got a whole lot of holes in it, right? And that's just to stop stuff falling through and the worms falling through. And you put your kitchen scraps. Um, I find uh, if you click, have a dog and you click dog poos off the concrete or whatever, that's good stuff because I, I used to do that. And the worms got into this container where I had put all the dog poo in for yonks. And my God, it was just seething with hundreds and hundreds of bloody tiger worms in there. Uh, they loved it. Um, and of course, that turned it into a nice, friable worm cast or vermicast, as we call it. So you have a tap on the bottom tank and Every now and again, you open that up and put a, um, a bottle underneath and collect the worm pee, which is called um, verm leaching, I think, for, or something like that anyway. So that there, you can water into your garden. The beauty of it is it's fairly high in nitrogen. It's got a good nitrogen content. And secondly, it's got lots of good microbes, bacteria in oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So as a result of that, um, it's a great food to water into uh, side dressing your plants with it. If you're going to spray it over plants, um, it would be better to knock it back one to ten uh, ratio with water, and then you could use it as a spray, folio feed, but just watering it into the garden. Um, I, I remember one time, I had a worm farm, and it was in a place where the ground was like rock hard. It was horrible. And I'd left the tap open and not collected the uh, worm pea. And funnily enough, after a few months, that place underneath with a drip, drip, drip of the pea on it became so beautiful and soft, friable wow. soil just from um, the leaching. Um, coming off the farm <laughs> so you, you you keep on going you get some worms um there's a few people on uh trade me there's a guy in wellington shane uh, i got in contact i just got another pile of worms from him um they're not, they're not expensive mm -hmm. and you put them into your worm farm after you've got some of the stuff rotting down right mm -hmm. ideally because if it's fresh fresh the cat the worms can't do anything with fresh cabbage leaves or anything they've got to rot down and then they can uh, start eating them up and and creating vermicasts or uh, worm casts right when the bottom tray uh or tier is basically full you put your second tier on and then you start putting your stuff into that and the worms will relocate up into the second tier and the first tier you can uh, take off uh, there'll still be a number of worms in there but you can separate them out and pop them into the uh, new uh, tier and then you've got all this beautiful worm casts now one of the advantages of worm casts that i learned from an old gardener one time you know how Sometimes you get uh, dieback in a plant, a tree, 
right? Yeah, yeah. And the, the answer is to stop it spreading, you cut it back to some clean wood and then you take the worm casts and with a little bit of non-chlorinated water just to turn it into a bit of a putty-like surrey and you put that over the wound. That is perfect for stopping dive back. Amazing. Yeah, it's got the microbes in it, see, um, which are all beneficial, and it's an old trick. Um, so if you have a situation where you've got to cut a, a bit of dead wood out of a tree and it's spreading, um, that's a way to do it. Um, besides that, the worm casts, you can use them in your potting mix. You can use them when you're planting seed-raising mix. Uh, they're lovely and friable. Yeah. So could you, if you were, say, doing a potting mix, would you use your, would you call it vermocast, would you mm -hmm. use that instead of your potting mix or would you do 50-50? What would you do? I, I would incorporate with more stuff because it can pack down a bit when it gets okay. wet. Um, so, I mean, say you can incorporate it with sand or vermic, um, yeah, sand would be good or just if you get it, all the potting mixes these days, I've found, by and large, are bloody horrible because they can't use peat moss anymore. Mm -hmm. um, That's been banned by the greenies. So instead of having peat moss, they're using bark fines, which no difference to bloody sawdust, really, when you think yeah. about it. Yeah. So uh, you can take one of the horrible potting mixes and you can add your vermicast through it. And, and here's an interesting thing I've just remembered. In the old days, and I'm going back when we were young. <laughs> oh, 20, over yeah. 20 years ago. Oh, 15 years at least. <laughs> In the nurseries, when they used to grow shrubs and so forth um, and send them off all over the countryside to sell, in the mix that they use in the planter bags would always be a bit of soil, clean topsoil, right? Why did they do that? because of the microbes and the bacteria, et cetera, et cetera, in that soil and the microcilium fungi. But that practice stopped later on because in those days the railways used to transport all the stuff around the countryside and it was relatively cheap transport. Of course, when the railways stopped doing that sort of thing and then you were using couriers or um, other transport, road transport, the weight of the soil in the mix increase the price of the transit, right? So instead they just use um, bark fines and a bit of food, etc., cetera, um, in the bags that they plant the shrubs up in. No longer soil. But it's a good practice if you're repotting um, container plants outside, not inside, but for outside, is to grab a handful of nice soil, some of that stuff that you've got off your compost heap, or mm. wherever, or some vermicast, and, and put that, add that to it, it will make the world a difference to the health of the plant because it's more natural. And um, I might have made, I hadn't appreciated the microbes coming from the worms. The microbes must harvest, you know, have a wee farm going on in their gut that is helping them digest what they're eating and then that's passing through them. And so that those microbes in that soil are crucial 
mm. getting 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 good soil because they're releasing the nutrients, aren't they, for the plant? Yeah, yeah, they break down um, either organic type food or even your uh, chemical fertilizers. Mm. Um, as long as you haven't put too much chemical fertilizer in to kill them, um, mm. but they will uh, help break it down and make it available to the plants. Will your um, because you're using kitchen scraps um, and the worms, and you're getting this sort of soil out of it, aren't you? It's like a soil. Yeah, vermicast, yeah. yeah. Like will, that, the, will, will that be have weeds in it or will it not? No. Really? No. No. Um, the only possibility would be if you're putting weed seeds into their – I'm not sure, and it would depend on the size of the seed, of course, whether if the worms take them in, they will actually neutralise them. And if it was a small seed, they probably would. Mm. But um, it's like chooks. Chooks um, are the only ones that I know that they can eat like wheat and so forth, and there'll be never any wheat in their poos that can germinate because they completely kill the germ of whatever they're eating. And chicken poo's good to use on your garden, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Of all the animal manures, chicken manure has got the best MPK rating. Uh, it's always weed-free. It's, it's always weed-free. Um, and it's like if you have had chickens, and you take a, a nice handful of fresh or relatively fresh chook manure and you put it in the bottom of a hole and you just put a little bit of soil over the top of it and then you plant a lettuce, like drunken woman lettuce, on top of it, my God, watch it grow. Lettuces just thrive on chook manure, fresh as. Hmm. Um, would you put chicken manure in your worm farm? Yeah. Yep, I just did that today. <laughs> the, the new worms I got because I just started off the second one, which um, I, I wasn't using because I've got two and I, I've got one going, and it was only one tier. And I thought, oh, I'll get some worms off this guy and 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 get this one going as well. And uh, and I thought, well, the material in there that I've been putting there from the kitchen, it still hadn't rotted down. So went to the chook run, and there was a nice, wet, soggy. Yeah, that's enough information, Wally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scraped <laughs> it up, put it in there, put the worms in there, and you could just about see them jumping with joy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't yeah. that amazing? And <laughs> I have been doing that, and then I sort of took half my <laughs> half my sort of worms out mm -hmm. with the vermicast and put it in my compost and to get sort of worms growing in there. Right. But would I have been best just to leave the worms where they were? No. No. What happens in your worm farm is that they reach what they call a maximum point where they will stop breeding because they already know, unlike the lemmingtons, they won't jump off the cliff. Yeah, they will stop breeding until the room population reduces, and then they'll breed again. So okay. they're self-regulating. So but, taking harvesting them is not a bad idea. 
Yeah, because it then encourages them to um, yes. breed again. Yes. And now, when – sorry, carry on. I was going to say – when your worm farm is really productive and you've got lots of worms in there, you can then start a worm pit, which is very much like what yours talking about now. This is where in the middle of your veggie garden, you dig a hole, you put some uh, kitchen scraps and rotten material in that manure, etc., and then you go and grab some uh, pile of uh, tiger worms out of your worm farm and you put that into your pit cover it over with some soil, right, and let them go for it. Now, they will breed, and you can keep on adding more manure or more um, kitchen scraps, whatever, onto the top of that, even some grass clippings, um, and then a bit of garden lime now and again to make sure it stays nice and alkaline and sweet, and those worms will spread out into your garden, particularly if you're putting compost over the top of the soil, which is what they loved, you know, like that value compost from Bunnings, mm -hmm. um, put that across as mushroom compost in actual fact, that they will actually move out across your garden. In my container plants outside where I've got lemon trees and so forth going, that, that there's a whole lot of worms in, in them, uh, which I've actually moved from either a worm farm or whatever and put them into the pots. Um, wow. and, and they go up and down, they aerate, and it makes a world of difference to everything. Now, um, so in your garden, there are earthworms, and then you have these tiger worms. Right. So the tiger worms, they'll do the job of an earthworm. Uh, surface acting, mainly. So the top layer of soil or compost or whatever, that's where they'll be working. The earthworms, the big, fat, long fellas, they go down deep and uh -huh. they come up and go down and come up and go down. And the beauty of them in your garden, of course, is uh, they will bring up um, minerals and elements from down below and bring it up to the surface, that sort of thing. The, the problem, of course, is people water their gardens with chlorinated water and the whole lot disappear. Simple as that. Worms cannot handle the chlorinated water coming out of the tap. So it's a must if you're doing this sort of thing is have a filter on your tap, which we sell. Um, costs you $140 for the housing and filter. Snaps on your hose. Simple to do. And then you've got non-chlorinated water, which you can use in your garden, and it won't kill the microbes in the soil, it won't kill the worms, it won't upset the microcillium fungi, and the plants love it. It's just about as good as rain. Well, I've got good source of water uh, from uh, literally from an uh, aquifer. Right, um, that's cool. And um, I can't believe how quickly, the, I mean, in six months, that soil is just bouncing. Um, do you need to introduce earthworms or will they just turn up naturally? Um, I presume they will turn up naturally um, mm. as long as uh, somewhere in the area. Um, but introducing them is the easy way. Like I, I know in this place here um, when I bought it and I started digging around outside in the garden, 
or when it was a lot of rain, up would come these great big long fat worms because nobody would used any insect, uh, sorry, um, herbicides, Roundup or anything here. And of course, Roundup itself um, kills worms. Uh, Isn't it soil. terrible what we've done to the soil? Oh, it is. Yeah. And, and, and it's such an amazing thing, and we treat it with contempt. It takes, I don't know how many hundreds of years to get one inch of topsoil, mm. and, and we destroy it within minutes mm. <laughs> with chemicals. Yeah. I, um, I've got a lot of worms. I'm wondering if they've come in with the horse manure. Yes, definitely. Mm. Yep. I brought in horse manure, and, and I remember I was in – this place where they had horses and uh, he didn't have any bags and he said, look, I've got a pile down there. If you don't mind, we'll fill some bags up for you. And uh, $2 a bag, good good stuff. Anyway, as he's digging through, he said, oh, there's a lot of worms in here. Do you want the worms? I said, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Throw the worms in. <laughs> and with your worm farm, with my worm farm, um, I added – a little, a little, a little of Bunnings compost to it. Good. The, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Just to no. sort of because, um, when I started, like you said, I didn't have a lot of rotted, um, a lot of rotted vegetables. vegetables. So yeah. what I did was I mixed up some uh, horse manure and some compost and sort of did a layer of that. And mm, that excellent. seemed to, and I've always added compost just to sort of, I guess, make a make a better thing to be putting into my garden. But it's actually a very profitable exercise because you're getting this amazing fertilizer, the worm pea, which <laughs> is very rich. I hadn't realised it had microbes in it, and then you're getting this absolutely wonderful soil. Um, and I have been using it. I put it in my little herb garden. You're right. And I was shocked how well it went as a sort of like a seeding bed. I, I mixed a bit, just like I, I hit upon it by accident, a bit of seed mix and then a bit of this. And my little herb garden in my tunnel house is doing extremely well, and I do put it down to that worm farm. Right, yeah. Now, there's a couple of things uh, people should be aware of with a worm farm. First of all, ideally, no citrus peelings. Yes. Uh, tomatoes, not too much of because they're acidic. Um, also, um, it's a good idea if you haven't got garden lime, is just sprinkle some baking soda every now and again over mm -hmm. the uh, stuff because it's alkaline. Mm -hmm. Or washing soda is another one, soda mm -hmm. ash. Um, it just keeps everything um, in the right alkaline pH for the worms. You could use the ash from your wood burner. Uh, that's potash. Would that's that work? Different. Oh, that's different. Oh, I'm sorry. No, sorry. I had a, I had a good idea. I thought a bad idea. No, no you I'm use not... that in the garden, around underneath your citrus trees, under your fruit trees, uh, wherever there's anything flowering and fruiting. You put your potash. But you said something, what was it, sodium phosphate. Was that, uh, what did you say, put with your worm farm? Uh, your uh, washing soda or um, soda ash is another oh, name. Soda ash is different to pot ash. Yeah, soda ash is washing soda. Oh, see, I, had, I heard ash 
silly me. I heard soda and I thought, oh, potash, not the same. Okay. Um, do you need to keep it moist? Um, normally, the worm pea itself will keep it moist. And mm. in a worm farm, if it's in a sunny position, which it shouldn't be, um, especially in summer, um, it should be more shaded because it can get too hot, especially if it's black. Um, mm. It attracts the heat. And uh, you may have to moisten it up a bit, um, which you would use, once again, non-chlorinated water or click rain water um, and, and use that. Um, just a sprinkling over. You can get some um, things happening in your worm farm, little um, flies and bits and pieces like that. Quite safe to use pyrethrum as a spray. Um, to, to knock them back. I, I usually have some nice big black spiders in my one. Um, they seem to be attracted to it as a nesting place, um, which is okay. Don't worry me. Um, but um, I, I was surprised, Wally, in my little mini glass house, which I built with the corrugated iron, like the raised garden you suggested in an earlier episode, and then I cut it at an angle and put a uh, very heavy uh, glass shower door that I picked up and I've been growing lettuces in there and in the top I used the worm vermicast and I, I was surprised um, I had some sort of clear round mushrooms growing sort of like we concave caps and I just you know got a knife and just uh, weeded them out but I hadn't seen anything quite like that before. Okay. You didn't actually um, nibble a couple of them and see if you had some lovely dreams, <laughs> did you? They weren't sort of Simon mushrooms, no, I, gold tops. I can hardly take a discipline. So, no, I didn't nibble them. <laughs> but um, I should have taken a picture for you and sent them to you because it was a most odd thing that was growing in there. Quite I'll, If they're back, I'll take a picture and I'll send it to you because yeah. I was puzzled by what they could be. Yeah, as, as stuff um, uh, rots down and so forth, or in the soil, you, you've got the um, toadstools, mushrooms, yeah. a whole range of stuff, um, and different. You need to get a book or look up the pictures and find yeah. out is it something that you can eat or is it something that you, you can, uh, can have a, a very good party on <laughs> <laughs> you're <laughs> or, leading me astray and our listeners wally or, or the other aspect of course um is um no i've lost my track of thought there but well, it is, I guess, what you're doing with the worms is you're introducing that mycorrhiza. You are introducing that uh, those um, that microbiology, which will include fungi, right, from the worm. Mm, yeah, and one of the things that I always say to people, if, if when you're digging around in your garden, if you come across a reasonable amount of worms, you've got good soil. If there's no worms, you ain't got good soil. And good soil is necessary to have a good garden. Yeah, for sure, because the soil biology is most important. Plants thrive on the microbes and microcilium fungi and all the soil life because that's in 
includes not only the earthworms, but you've got beetles and bits and pieces mm. that that live in the soil. They eat um, various uh, material, uh, breaking down, etc. And then, of course, they're pooing out um, mm. their mm. poo and pee, and all those things go to feed the plants. And, of course, what I've noticed is it doesn't take hundreds of years to grow soil if you can get manure and have a worm farm running, and I'm going to go out there tomorrow and put in a worm pit after work. Um, it doesn't take too long because of what we can add to it to produce a good soil. Right. Um, and then you get very weary of what you're putting on the ground so you don't go willy-nilly spraying any stuff because you've got this beautiful living um, ecosystem. But who would ever have thought that using town supply water and you're watering your garden and you're killing the biology of your soil through the chlorine. Mm, yep, yep. The, the simple answer is, like in the spring, if you have a nice wet spring, everything in the garden comes away really great, healthy looking, no disease, no problems. And then later on when it starts to dry out, you get the hose out and start watering, hello, it's black spot, rust, um, plants are not looking and thriving like they were before. And then you have a week of rain and everything comes back to life. Because the soil biology can, like with the microbes, have three generations in 24 hours. So mm. it doesn't take them long to build if you stop killing them. Mm. Now, what else should we be doing in our garden, Wally? At the moment, um, you should be getting planting up uh, new seasons plants like cabbages, cauliflowers, um, lettuces, salad plants, radishes, either by seed or by seedlings. Um, now is the time to get stuck in. Uh, depends where you are in New Zealand, of course. Um, in some places where it may be still a bit too cold and you're not getting much growth. But the daylight hours are extending mm. and we're quickly heading towards the longest day in December. And so the and your uh, deciduous trees and roses are starting to come to life. The daffodils are out. It's a new season. Mm. It's time to get cracking. Well, Dr... Wally Richards, would I be in line for a little badge of Rookie Gardener of the Year if I were to tell you that in my tunnel house, which you said I could get if I hung around on Neighbourly or Facebook for free for the price of picking it up, and I did, I've had two lettuces in Otago. Is that good work? Oh, yes. Excellent. Yeah. And and your advantage, of course, is the tunnel house, you've got a sheltered environment. Yes. And, and so, hence, what would struggle to grow outside will romp away in the enclosed environment with plenty of light. It's been, I mean, to have these two lettuces, and I have to say, I don't, I mean, probably 50% of it was psychological and 50% was actually actual, but they were delicious. I love, I love a, a Marmite cheese and lettuce sandwich for lunch. Sounds and great. Have, have my own lettuce was, was just to die for. 
My brassicas in my tunnel house are growing like mad, but I think they might be bolting. I must, I was going to make a study of that. Um, my seedlings, I have tussock seedlings in my tunnel house to plant out native tussocks. And, right. um, they've, they've seeded and they're growing well, particularly when I put on the, the magic botanic liquid. Botanic liquid. Man, they love that. And I've got a herb garden in there. I have planted in a seed box, uh, in a, in a, in a box, uh, my tomato seeds. And, um, I've kept them inside and I take them out when it's a sunny day. Uh, they're like my little baby. And uh -huh. I have nine have sprouted. Good. And um, I think I planted 12, so I'm hoping for another three. And then I'll plant some more. I'll, I'll put these out in my tunnel house, and then I'll plant some more and keep them on rotation. But I'm a very, very proud gardener, and I right. think it's not bad in central Otago, and my brand-new tunnel house secondhand got for free, to have had two lettuces. Yeah, that's excellent. Really good. Yep, yeah. for sure. And, and, you think uh, you're I, in Auckland? Yes, I, I, um, and I feel like, you know, um, unbelievably proud. And there's nothing; it's the best therapy. When I, when I'm out there in my garden, I don't worry about what's in the newspaper. I don't worry what's on the radio. I don't worry about what Jacinda and Chris Luxon or Chris Hipkins or whoever is trying to run the country at the moment. I don't worry about what they're saying and the madness that's going around us. I'm just enjoying that beautiful rich soil, watching those earthworms and thinking that you're creating this sort of transformative, life-giving thing. And and I'm amazed, Wally, that you sort of plant like a little wee tomato seed and then suddenly it's sprouted up and there's a tomato plant. It's, it's, yeah. it's wondrous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You're a, a big father. You're a father to a tomato plant. My God. <laughs> I am a father to a tomato plant. Yeah, yeah. I feel a bit bad going to eat the tomato, but no. Um, it is. It is. I. 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 Um, and it's also taught me that, like, you don't need a big garden. You could be in a little apartment and have tomato plants on the balcony. Yeah. No trouble. No Good trouble. to go. Yeah. 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 The the interesting thing too is like people that are working and they're stressed out at work and they come home and they get out into the garden within minutes literally within minutes they're calmed down mm. right now there's an interaction between the plants and you the plants so. will give you a soothing thing it's like the people that like to go out and hug trees yes. That's it. it works you yes. hug a tree and the tree will give you vitality and so yes. forth and by just working with things in nature and uh, your garden, planting seeds, and then having the joy of seeing all these seeds germinate and sprout mm. up. My mm. God, it's life. You've it created is. life. You've become <laughs> a god. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, my wife's been a little bit of a gardener previously, but she's always bought tomato seedlings, and she's amazed that I have sprouted them from seeds. Because, you know, she says it's so much cheaper just getting this yeah. packet of seeds and, and growing them. And, of course, we've also got our little thing from Bunnings, that little... Um, Heat pad? No. 
we've got a uh, the mung bean grower, the sprouts. The sprouts oh, right. Yep, 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 yep. And I yep. mean, every day we get a feed of sprouts out of that little grower just sitting on our bench. It's 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 remarkable. Um, Wally, Dr. Richards, it's wonderful to be uh, having you on the show. Remember, everyone, you can give Wally a ring at 0800-466-464. You can email him at wallyjr at gardennews.co.nz. Remember, the Garden News only has uh, one end. You can go to his webpage. Uh, you can just Google it. Go Wally Richards Garden, and he will pop up in all his glory. He has an amazing array of product to help you with your gardening, but more particularly, he's got, as you've heard, uh, an amazing array of knowledge and information at his fingertips. And if you're stuck on something in your garden, be great if you send us a text. You can uh, just at 2057, email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio, and we can share that with listeners or give Wally a ring because, as you can tell, he is a great guy and he loves talking and talking gardening. Is that not the truth, Wally? Yep, that's for sure. Uh, you're on Radley Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And we've just had Dr. Wally Richards, the plant doctor, on our show. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Radley Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Favorite part of the show for me? Mailbag, where I get to hear from you, the listeners. Always wonderful. Don't forget, email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio, text 2057. Here's one from Roger. Hello, Rodney. I enjoyed your talk on who you're going to vote for. I have been a New Zealand First fan for a long time, but I've not always voted for them. This year I will. I like the lineup he's got. I like the way they say it as it is and no wishy-washy nonsense. Ain't that the truth? At least that is my take. I'm tired of the lies and misinformation, aren't we all? I'm tired of the talk on co-governance, which was never in the treaty that I read. I'm tired of those trying to fracture our society for the betterment of themselves. I'm tired of those trying to make women second-class citizens. What a great email, Roger. Thank you. I got the COVID jab basically as I had to keep the business going and all the staff did as well. I didn't get COVID until the week before last Christmas, and since January this year, I've suffered long COVID. Oh, dearie me. Whether this was just from the COVID virus or a combination of that and the vaccination, I don't know. I just know that on my own, I'm trying to get my health back, and I'm slowly succeeding. All the very best, Roger. Well, good on you, Roger. And I think we should get someone on the show to talk about long COVID and what we can do and vaccinations on protocols for dealing with that thank you for your note hi rodney yes i agree i found it difficult to forgive winston for letting labor in i came from a traditional labor background and the destruction that they have caused but i listened to casey costello and winston yesterday and i think that's where my vote will go god bless mike thank you mike linda dear rodney i very much appreciated your comments on who you're going to vote for a lot of pressure in my house to vote just to get labor out I've been looking at all the party's policies and find things I just cannot go with. Like you, I was traumatized by being locked in my home, unable to go to yoga or swim or just have a coffee, had eye examination appointments cancelled because of not complying. My daughter, who has fibro fibromyalgia, gosh, my pronunciations are bad, fibromyalgia, was not allowed to face-to-face -face for the doctor's appointments. Oh. I can't even describe the feelings and anger when your child's health is at stake. Got to the point when the doctor said she really needed to see her 
for a physical, and it took them two weeks to organize a space. My daughter thought she may have had the appointment in the broom cupboard. <laughs> a space was found where she would not have interaction with other patients. Who would have thought? I gave up on my vaccinated friend when she insisted that she wanted to continue our relationship with me on the deck outside away from her. I could go on, you know, what it was like. I too see New Zealand first. The only chance of this mess being looked at, they are sweeping it under the carpet, and if that happens, they can do it all over again. I agree. For my own mental health, I need a confirmation of what the government did to us and made it okay for one part of the population to bully the other. And I need an apology that makes a space for healing, just as we teach our children to own up and make amends for their learning to be good citizens. And most of all, if the proper investigation does not happen, vaccinated people are denied their human right to medical care, and that could save lives. And if that happens, is that not manslaughter by ignorance and willful blindness? If we lose our humanity, I do not want to live in this society. So I'm pleading to Winston, don't let us down. Nice, Linda. Your dilemma was my dilemma, Rodney. Yes, it was New Zealand first for the same reasons you, until New Zealand loyal, threw their hat in the ring, loved their taxation policy, smacks of the Social Credit Party 50 years ago, however, their registration as a political party will be down to the wire. Helen, well, they're registered, and we're going to have Liz Gunn on. Wonderful. Here's one from Wayne. Hi, it's good to have RCR as a founding member. Uh, it never ceases to astound me with the calibre of people who are being interviewed. Me too. Just everyday people are fantastic, aren't they? Just need a platform. I too have not voted for years as I never liked the fact that we have two main parties, one in power, one in opposition, none than a true direct democracy. They should be working together in the best interest of all New Zealanders, not wasting time and taxpayers' money, disagreement most of the time. My thoughts is give party votes to New Zealand first, Winston a go, then Freedom New Zealand, New Zealand Royal, then give your electorate candidate vote to one of the independent representatives in your electorates. Imagine New Zealand First gets 15 to 20%, Freedom New Zealand gets 6%, New Zealand Oil 5%, Outside and Freedom Party 3%, Vision 3%, DNZ 3%, NCP 2%, Top 2%, NNP 1.9%, a couple of others get 1.9%. It could well be possible for us to have a government of independence of the people, by the people, with the people working together to be better. Equality in New Zealand and diversity would be great. Mostly in agreement on many fronts with others possibly to be worked on. At the end of the day, it will not matter a flying fig whom gets in without a refinery. We'll be taking orders from the UN and its evil partners in this. Obsession to rule, control the world. Take back Marsden Point. Regards, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. The thing with the birth certificate being changed is a man would not only have to produce that and he would override keeping them out of the only woman's spaces heartbreaking catherine yes catherine heartbreaking and they did this to us all of them hi rodney that was an awesome chat with axel he sounds lovely i have had all the lovely knocked out of me and i wanted to do a bit of payback i went out last friday while quite possibly being still COVID infected to a place full of people that took the jab free like scum I mentioned having tickets to the River of Freedom and they said nasty things about, like, why would I want to watch? My intuition told me not to be jabbed. I was injured when the pressure got too much from AstraZeneca, which made me lose my job, and I'm still considered unvaccinated because I stopped that one vaccine. Oh, my goodness. I'm still angry. Axel made me think I better behave. I joined up with Reality Check as a member a couple of weeks ago. Money well spent. Love you guys, Catherine. Oh, that's so lovely, Catherine. Thank you. Yes, we've got to counter bad with good. 
Thank you, Rodney, for the wonderful interview with Axe, one of my favorite listens, as it was informative, interesting, inspirational, and positive towards understanding change. New Zealand Kiwis have the vibrations, courage, and determination to go forward and get off our knees and walk towards our rights and freedoms. RCR, keep going forward to positive change and laugh as we do it. Best wishes to you and the team. Just love Axel Red. Susie. Thank you, Susie. Rock on, Rodney, and all the team. Always listen when I can get more educated from a wealth of topics from your hosts and guests. From Shirley, I was interested in Rodney's comments on who to vote for, and I agree that voting for Winston is tricky. But who else? Mm, stuff. Carolyn, uh, I'm a foundation member and loving your shows. I listened to Rodney and Linda Sutton recently. I was at the Posey Parker event in March and with my daughter. Fortunately, we were in a bit late, so didn't get attacked, but were traumatized by the hate generated by the activists and the inaction of the police. We asked them to help women who were getting abused for just holding a sign, but they did nothing. As you know, Carly J. Keene is back on the September the 20th. Linda didn't mention it, and Jonathan Ailing did, but I think it would be good to have someone from the Let Women Speak or someone else go on a show to publicize it. We're getting again with others as it's so important to stand for our rights to free speech. We haven't heard the time or place yet. I think they'll publicise near the day debate. Thank you. Oh, thank you for standing up for us. Yes, Winston knows where a penis belongs. Well said, sir. Did I put it just like that? Oh, I didn't think so. Uh, well, Rodney, Winston Noden spoke about this issue, bringing Nicola Sturgeon of the Scottish Parliament down. He read the room in Scotland. Rodney, I'm unfortunately not blessed with children in my life, but I'm appalled and disgusted to my core about men invading babies, girls, young women, and women's spaces. This is being pushed by the global dark side to destroy families and to divide people. Keep up the amazing work, team. Daniel. Oh, thank you, Daniel. You're so wrong, Rodney. Your vote is wasted as the people who vote for the small parties do not want anything to do with Labour or National ever. Winston has more integrity than them all put together. If he had a toad, if he had a toad the line, he would already have been Prime Minister years ago. If all the small parties voted New Zealand first, Winston would not be there much longer, and you can use it as a vehicle to turbocharge change. John Key, are you kidding, Rodney? He sold us out not least to China. He's a globalist and also did some dodgy stuff in Antarctica. Hmm. Hi, Rodney. Your adoration of John Key. John Key was the man behind the two shots for summer idea. I remember an interview with him about vaccination rates, and he said if you tell young people they can get to go to gigs and concerts over summer without being double-jabbed, then that will drive rates up. Consequently, to my great horror and sadness, my gorgeous, precious firstborn son went and had two shots for summer. I hope and pray every day that he received the saline. Regards, Jane. Yeah. Well, I think John Key's a great man. I didn't say he was perfect. There's only been one perfect man here on earth, and it wasn't John Key. And I agree with you. The two shots for summer was disgusting. And it does count against John Key. Fascinating insights into the inner wheeling and dealing in government. Thanks. And don't feel bad about talking too much because everything you say is extraordinarily valuable and interesting. Great show, Rodney. Or should I call you <laughs> Circle Back Saki? She was nearly as bad as the current US press secretary. Wonderful, Rodney. We used to buy Ken's books. Uh, that's Ken Ring. And we wondered what happened to him, how and why he was so cancelled. Too truthful. I wonder what his thoughts are on the weather we've been getting lately because it doesn't seem natural. Cheers, Kate. We listened to your chat. This is Rosemary. 
with the indomitable Roe Edge this morning. Roe is always so clear why women's sport should and must not include men who identify as women. It was also most interesting to hear of your experience as a smaller party in government and behind the closed door jostling. Rodney, you were the first commentator to put forward the view that a vote for a minor party is not a wasted vote. That gave us heart, as we cannot vote for any politician or party currently in Parliament, as I refused to listen to the people who protested at Freedom Village outside Parliament. Shame on all of them, John and Rosemary. Thank you. Lovely. Hi, Rodney. Ken Ring interview was thoroughly enjoyable. I put King's weather predictions to the test many years ago for a two-month period and compared it to the weather forecast on the news each day. Ken's forecast completely outperformed the version on the news. Folks I knew who were into skiing and also the surfers I knew planned the activities with the guidance from Ken. The man's a genuine national treasure in my book. He has the courage of his convictions against a monumental misguided tide. On top of this, his attentions have been honourable. Terrific. Cheers, Ian. Hi, Rodney. I just last night happened upon your 4th of April interview with James Harrison about his life at Gloryvale and after. What a story. I was so glad to hear it from someone who really knows and about the wonderful welcome at Timaru's Baptist Church. I do wish him and his family all the best in these coming years. I don't listen to RCR through the day. At 82, it takes me all my time to get things done during the day. <laughs> I know that feeling, and I'm only, oh, I won't tell you, but not quite 82. But I do like to check the replays during the evening, and love you, Pete and Paul especially. I also enjoyed your double interview with Ashley Church a few weeks back. Just one last comment. I heard something mentioned about who to vote for this coming election. Well, can I suggest New Zeal, led by Alfred Naro? the only true godly party on offer. Keep up the good work. Kind regards, Jill. Thank you, Jill. That's so wonderful. It's so lovely to hear from you. And we need to look at New Zeal. Hi, Rodney. The local government funding agency has in its 2021 statement of intent that it'll help the New Zealand government fund COVID-19. So if the government gets into debt over that massive expenditure, maybe ratepayers will it be at risk. Should Could we find out how much LGFA actually lent to the government and what the repayment terms are? Leah. Nice. Thank you, Leah. Listening to Rodney regarding the Auckland Super City, unfortunately many feel it was not for the better. I live in Titarangi, close to the village, since amalgamation, work on pathways and parks in a 10-kilometre radius. To the village have reached such a state of disrepair that a complete rebuild is required. I'm sorry to hear that. Even with the latest flood, work is either ignored or deferred, yet areas such as central Auckland and surrounding residential areas are constantly rebuilt and upgraded. Genuine feeling is that the super city consolidation was a huge cost with a minimum benefit to rate bars. Oh, I'm sorry to hear your bad experience. It is hard to understand, isn't it? They're busy always down the CBD and people want it to stop and out in the suburbs. Where are they? Rodney, I've just loved your program this morning, especially your honesty about your newfound faith and our soon coming saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only true hope for this world, God's richest blessings, Alistair. Well, thank you, Alistair. Hi, Rodney. Always a great show. I still struggle to hear you a lot of the time, but every now and then it sounds like you're getting closer to the microphone. I have great hearing as well. Cheers, Gavin. How's this, Gavin? I'm getting right in close. I think I do move away at times. Uh, Glenn, I had three police turn up at my rural address for an hour or so for the crime of putting flyers and letterboxes when I was getting some exercising during one of the COVID lockups. The flyers questioned masks and lockdowns. I guess that was the crime. <laughs> what? Police turning up 
turning up because you're putting out flyers. Uh-oh, bad boy, questioning government. Rodney, National Act in charge. Yes, change needed, but the thought of home. The thought of Homer Simpson and Goofy representing us is scary. That's very good. How do people come up with those great lines, Homer Simpson and Goofy? And, of course, you immediately know which one's which. Rodney, well said, reluctant. Would be good to know what the females in his family think. Yeah. Hi, Rodney. I enjoyed listening to Sarah Beasley on your program this morning. The Rolls-Royce of Healthcare is natural hygiene. It's been practiced at Arcadia Health Centre, Sydney, since 1961. Since then, they've helped 35,000 patients recover their health from all types of diseases. They do a lengthy diagnosis to gain knowledge of the patient's past history and lifestyle habits. They remove causes as far as practical. They put most of the patients on a monitored water-only fast, which exploits the body's self-healing ability. After breaking the fast, patients are put on a vegetarian or vegan diet and given a program to follow to rebuild strength and fitness and domain long-term health. I learned about it in 1967 while in Sydney and have followed this lifestyle since. Wow, that's great. That's a long time. That's like, you know, 55 years, isn't it? I I had been a migraine sufferer in my teens and early 20s, and my wife had suffered from asthma throughout her young life. We both got completely over our health problems for them never to return. Good for you. Having learned about the lifestyle, we then brought our two boys up as vegetarians with no health problems like other children suffered from. Eldest boy and his wife had brought up four children the same, and now we have the oldest granddaughter bringing up our three great-grandchildren the same. All kept very fit and well. Well, you can't argue with three generations. The oldest six-year-old grandson is very bright and is top of his class at school. Good for him and good for you. What they practice at Arcadia Health Centre is what should be practiced on our hospitals instead of drugging patients and performing expensive surgeries. Medical doctors mostly only learn about how to manage disease while it remains and continues to get worse. Have a good look at their website as there's plenty of information to read up about health. Kind regards, John. I will look that up. ArcadiaHealthCenter.co.au Hi, Rodney. Listen to your show on 29th August and just marvel at the way you calmly and succinctly Outlined to uh, Mr. Luxon that it's not a good idea to let men share women's personal spaces or compete in women's sports on an equal basis. Your ability to express what you mean in a simple way is fantastic. Love your show. Ah, oh, that's so kind, Christine. Thank you so much for that. Ah, oh, I love the feedback. Wonderful, wonderful guests that we have. We're blessed. And wonderful, wonderful listeners that we have. So please email me, introduce yourself. 2057 for a text, email inbox at roundlycheck.radio. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde at Roundly Check Radio. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send us a text, 2057. Uh, email me, inbox at Radio. Oh, and there's election coming up, and we're joined by Tane Webster. Good morning, Tane. Good morning, Rodney. Beaming in from central Taranaki at my home sitting location. Ah, you're sitting someone's home. That must be wonderful. Yeah, it is. Tell us, what's our question today? So this question's come in a number of forms into us, but the gist of it is what happens to votes that do not make it across the 5% threshold or that party does not also win an electorate? What happens to those votes? Well, this is a great question, actually, because those votes are essentially thrown in the bin. 
because it's like when you have first past the post um, and you vote for a candidate and that candidate doesn't win, then in a way your vote didn't count. You know, your person uh, didn't make it. But they make a big song and dance about it. The two old parties and the new parties in Parliament make a big song and dance about it, saying, oh, you mustn't vote for a third party because your vote will be wasted. Well, it's your vote. And to my mind, no vote is wasted because let's say you feel very strongly about a third party, a Christian party or a pro-freedom party, and you vote for it. And out of that result, no MPs get into Parliament. Well, your vote's not wasted, because I can promise you, having been there, the other political parties are looking for votes all the time. And if they see a party getting 2%, they want to know why that party got 2%, because that 2% is the difference between getting into power and being in opposition. They want to pick up those voters. So you are registering your support for a potential set of votes, just like when the Christian parties early on in MMP stood and they'd get 3 4% of the vote. I tell you what, the ACT Party, the National Party, and to some extent the Labour Party were still chasing that vote because they wanted it for them. And so they changed their behaviour and their policies as a consequence of that. They're in the marketplace for votes. So votes aren't wasted. What the main parties will say is, oh, what happens is your vote gets reallocated to other parties. It's a nonsense. It gets reallocated in a funny way because it doesn't count. Well, it's just math. It's just math. Right. Because it doesn't count, everyone goes up a little bit in terms of the formula because, you know, your people didn't get a line. But I always say vote for the party that you support. And, of course, if you don't do that, then we're not going to get change. Does that make sense? I think it does, yeah. I'm a great supporter of the underdog and the people that are giving it a go. And the ones that are in Parliament, to hell with a lot of them, you know. So I always like supporting the ones that are struggling to come in. And, I mean, I was one of them once, struggling to get into Parliament on several elections. And nothing would be more frustrating when people say, oh, look, I really like you and you've done such a good job and I really like your policies. But I don't want my vote wasted, so I'm voting national. You know, I hate them, but I'm voting for them because you're not going to make it. Well, you're not going to make it because National's been running this propaganda campaign that our vote for ACT is a wasted vote. Um, No, it's your vote. Don't be told what to do with it. You choose. Vote for the party that you support. That's my message. Oh, and here's another good one. Take, for example, Liz Gunn, who I think the world of, uh, and she set up a party. Good on her. I can't wait to have her on the show. And you say to yourself, oh, Wasted vote, wasted vote, wasted vote. No, 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 because you're voting for the principles and the policy and the philosophy of that party, and you're also voting for Liz Gunn. I tell you what, she mightn't make it say, because she doesn't get enough votes, but she will be noticed, her policies will be noticed, and a smart political party might pick her up for next time. You know, that's how politics works. Vote for who you want to vote for. Don't be persuaded by self interested political parties telling you that if you vote for anyone other than them your vote won't count <laughs> it's a bit like imagine being in a blue in a blue seat right in the old days so it's absolutely blue seat it's never going to change and you're a labor voter and having the national party saying well don't vote for labor because your vote will be wasted it doesn't make sense because you vote for national 
they're going to you, you're going to say, well, I could vote for you, but you're going to get in anyway. So that is a wasted vote. No, no, vote for who you support every time. Yeah, and one thing I would add in, you sort of alluded to it, but it does have an effect on the what we call, you know, the Overton window and what's allowed to be discussed. And when you put forward ideas in any format, whether that's in a form of a minor party media, you know, your Facebook oh, that's page, a great will, point. It's that, influencing. That, oh, you got me excited. That's a fantastic point because look what RFK Junior has done for American politics and Vivek Ramaswamy, and indeed previous to that Donald Trump. Because these were people who had no chance, uh, written off by the mainstream, written off by you know um, the legacy media, written off by all the established politicians, but they have changed what can be talked about in American politics. They have changed the election campaign, and so Vivek, for one example, has put ending the war in Ukraine on the table. He also he also called climate change a you know what a hoax right? yeah and that the climate change agenda is a hoax and RFK even more stunningly has been able to explain his position on vaccines not just the COVID nineteen so called vaccine but all vaccines saying we want to see the science we are the supporters of science don't label me anti vax uh, we want to see the science we just don't want to be told what's safe and effective by big pharma who make billions out of this stuff he has done a fabulous job against the odds and how by actually standing for office gaining support. The important thing is that he's done that. It'd be great if they won. But the important thing is that by standing for office and gaining support, their point of view is reaching Yeah, getting there, getting their idea. And and it's 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 a different system there. It's a, arguably it's it's easier and safer to do what they're doing there because yeah. there's the primaries, right? They have yeah. the primaries at the end it will go from to, you know, um RVSD. So I don't like I don't like stuff. politics, funnily enough. Because <laughs> um, it's sort of seedy and dirty. Um, I like um, business and communities and human interaction. Um, and so there's something disgusting about sitting in committee and trying to get your way. Um, and there's something seedy and disgusting about standing out there and getting people to vote for you so you can have power over them. That's like not good. But I do love, because you're going to have a government, I do love the Westminster system. I think it's just fabulous. I think it's been corrupted by MMP, but there you go. And I do love the American system, like in the abstract. It's such a wonderful, perfect system of balance of the power and all the rest of it. Of course, politicians are working to undermine it and to become tyrannical and to use it and abuse it. But the actual system, oh, my goodness, uh, very, very clever. And the alternative is always a tyranny. So we're very lucky, and American politics, as you say, but it also shows system. it also shows that no matter how good the system is, if you're not careful, it just gets it just gets screwed, and that's because the American system's yeah. been screwed. Well, I always think I'm always been a big fan when, when I first heard of it before I was in Parliament, and uh, it, it always struck me as a good idea when I was in Parliament, and still does. It's an American concept of term limits, and I yes. love the idea of term limits. I think you should only be allowed three terms in Parliament. So you go, you stand for office in New Zealand, and you've got nine years. And after nine years, you can't stand again. Now, what that would mean is you would never have career politicians, mm. which I think are a disgrace. You would have people choosing a good age at which to go into parliament. They might say, well, oh, because I can only do nine years, I will actually you know, do X, Y, and Z, 
and then I'll stand for Parliament. You'd also offer up the prospect to every New Zealander to be Prime Minister, because obviously the Prime Minister's only got nine years. So you don't have to dedicate your life to politics to be Prime Minister. You only have to put aside nine years. I think that would be wonderful. And it would also mean that our MPs, our ministers, and our prime ministers are citizens, not a ruling class. What we've got now is a ruling class, and we're choosing amongst a ruling class. I want a citizen parliament. Yeah, it's definitely, I would say it's not as bad as a lot of countries. Like a lot of everyday people can make it in there. And, you know, when you were in there, you, you were an example of that. But uh, it's definitely more in the direction where there's a class of Wellington bureaucrat, elite party insider, party advisor. They, they do these roles before they become MPs, you know, and it's yes. kind of a, a little bit of a club, a little bit of that. No, it's a total club. It's a total club, yeah. It's a total club. And, of course, those that do come in from outside are inculcated into it. So John Key was an outsider who came in. But because the club was so big, he had to become part of the club and take on the club, you know, be part of the club. He had to earn the respect of the club, and then he left, and good on him. And it was the same for me. You know, you, you join a big club. Oh, it's wrong. You know, we want citizens turning up there. And, I mean, that was a great thing about when government was simpler and government did a lot less. Uh, it was better because, you know, my grandfather wasn't troubled by government one day to the next. They weren't telling him what he could and couldn't do. He could get on with his life. And, of course, they paid uh, MPs a pittance which I think is a good thing too. And if you had term limits, you could pay them nothing and it would be true community service. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, the, the the pay aspect of it, because obviously, yeah, you want people in it for the right reasons, but then you also want to attract top quality people. But I, I, yeah, I, I tend to believe on your side, but I'm just saying that's, that's yeah, the no, devil's advocate position. Here's, here's the other thing is uh, what we've created is a monster class of bureaucrats and um, they have spent their entire lives in it on big money, right, ruling over us. And the danger of term limits is even after 20 years in Parliament trying to deal with these guys, they still get the better of you every day in and day out. And I can imagine if you had term limits, the bureaucrats would rule the roost. But I can also imagine on the plus side that if you had term, term limits, you wouldn't care and you could have a group elected to parliament and just say, we're going to deal with these, this crowd. <laughs> we're, we're not in it for the long term. I've got nine years to fix the bureaucracy. And you could stand on firing the, all, you know, the top 10% of bosses. And you say, oh, well, then government wouldn't work very well. Well, how's it going at the moment for you? Mm-hmm. And I think the term limits, if it if it isn't, it's not already the case in councils, but it should apply there too. Yes. There we go. There's uh, Politics Explained. We covered off ah, your so-called wasted vote. No vote is wasted. Even the non-vote sort of counts, which is often where I'm at because it's sending a message too. And if you're hunting for votes, you look at that. And we also covered off uh, term limits. Thank you, Tane. I look forward to having you on next week. This is Politics Explained, back to the basics uh, in the political sandpit. You can send me a text at 2057 with your political questions, and you can email me, inbox at realitycheck.radio. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. 
I don't know about you, but this election feels a bit funny to me, you know, because I see all the billboards going up and all the policies, and every now and then in the news there's a new policy being announced. But I've got a funny feeling that there's a big fat elephant in the room this election, and it's not being talked about. It's like the politicians want to ignore it at all costs. The media want to ignore it at all costs. And they must know. They must see this elephant every day. They must get up in the morning and know about this elephant. Halfway through the day campaigning, there's that elephant. And when they go to bed, there's the elephant. And the elephant's this. It was the lockdowns, the mandates, the damage inflicted by the government on citizens. Unbelievable damage and disruption not to be talked about this election, not to be questioned, not to be discussed. Now, MPs, at the best of times, are actually pretty connected to their community, if you're a local MP, because you're turning up to the events, you have an office open to all, people can come and see you, people can walk up to you in the street, and they can tell you what's going on in their lives. And I know that every MP will be being approached by people hurt and distressed economically and socially, and their health impacted badly by the lockdowns and by the vaccines. And so what are these MPs saying? Are they just nodding their head in sympathy and then quickly moving on? What's happening at the meetings up and down this country? Because this elephant, this big fat elephant in this room, is not being addressed this election. Those new parties that stand to try and say, hey, look at this big elephant, they just get attacked by the media. Ah, more conspiracy theorists and denigrated. Citizens of this country standing for high office being denigrated because they have the wrong views, you know. They're not quite there. They're the awful people. Don't vote for them. And if, perchance, their qualifications and abilities set them out to be a candidate on some or other party's list, they're quickly outed, and they have to be explained that, oh, they don't have those views anymore, or, yes, they still have those views, so we got rid of them. How disgusting is this? We're supposed to be living in a democracy. And this is a terrifying thing, and think about this. It's very easy to say, oh, look at that parliament, all bickering and they're fighting, and whatever the government proposes, the opposition attacks and says it's all wrong, and yet it's a little untidy. But what's worse in a parliamentary democracy is when the parties all agree on something. Now, when they all agree on something, you've got a problem because we're being shut out of the picture. The parties will all agree on how much they should get paid more, what their superannuation should be, better. They'll all agree on that, and they'll all agree on things that aren't in our best interests, clearly, because that's what happened through the COVID era. And once they all agreed, they stay together. Because they understand as politicians, they all hang together or they'll hang separately, to quote Benjamin Franklin. So they're all sticking in their National Act, the Greens, Labour. And of course, the media went along with it and they're stuck in there too. So this election campaign is ignoring the elephant. And that's why I think we should be promoting the little parties, because at least they're raising it. And you can see in America, through the presidential primaries, that actually big issues, the elephant is being raised by RFK Jr., Vivek Ramaswamy. They are raising the big issues. Here in New Zealand, it's being denied. So my suggestion is, 
to put the little parties that are speaking out on this and go along to the street corners, go along to the candidates and hear them talk, go along to the meetings and ask them about the elephant and let us know what they're saying. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Radley Check Radio. Thank you for listening and tell me what you found out by texting me at 2057 or sending me an email at inbox at radleycheck.radio. Thank you. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's been Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. What a great show we've had. My goodness. Wasn't that something? Penny Jackson and Matthew Haig on Fletcher Building. Oh, my goodness. We forget so quickly what we've all been through and what some people in particular have been through. Unimaginable in this day and age in New Zealand. Well, let's hope that the Employment Tribunal gives them some justice. And what a great guy Matthew Haig is when you think we can have readily such a poor opinion of uh, lawyers. And then you strike a good one, a great one. Wonderful, wonderful. And, of course, we're going to call out Wally Richards, our gardening guru any longer. He's Dr. Professor Wally Richards, the plant doctor, the man you go to when your plants are sick. I loved hearing about uh, worm farming. I think I might need to make an upgrade look after my worms better and then Tane we talked about the wasted vote uh wonderful stuff thank you for listening today thank you for being part of the RCR family and community it's such a blessing to have you here with us with each other and for your feedback remember text me 2057 email me inbox at rallycheck.radio this is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde Rallycheck Radio talk next week <laughs>